On episode 24 of Pixel Gaiden, we have an Amiko update. What exactly is a clone? Tim brings us Christmas in 1985. We get to talk to Dan James. It's an alternative mascot battle. Another game show is afoot. The return of the evil gnome. Christmas packages. Merry Christmas to all, and let's drink beer. Another visitor. Stay while. Stay forever. And Tim Drew. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Nelson and Cody Hoffman. Oh, Eric, welcome to Pixel Gaiden. Ho, 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 and Merry Christmas to you. Jingle bells. Batman smells. Whatever, whatever. Robin laid an egg. That's right. Welcome to Pixel Gaiden, the uh, pixeliest of all Gaidens. Sparkly. Sparkliest. <laughs> the sparkliest podcast. This is our uh, Christmas episode. Yes. Uh, Eric, would you have you have good Christmas plans? I have none, which which is the best plan. I, so yeah, I, I do. I have the best plan of nothing. There's nothing. What are you are you asking for any uh, retro game related items? I am you know, this year is the first year I am not asking for anything at all technological. Like I'm just asking for everything like clothes and <laughs> Yep. That's right. Honey, can I have some pleated pants? Oh, I'm so dumb. I did ask for something technical. There you go. But it's boring. I asked for flux and like a <laughs> solder. <laughs> so that I could, because I have some new projects coming. Mind in. blown. I don't know if we were going to talk about like uh, some New Year's projects or resolutions. Are we going to do that later? Ooh, we can do that. Well, we'll do that in the New Year's episode. This is a Christmas episode, That's Eric. true, so I'll, I'll save this, it for this that. This episode is being recorded um, <clears throat> today on the 15th. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me go ahead and uh, overview the show we have today. I'm extremely excited about the episode. Um, I'm not sure why I'm giddy today. It's unique. Um, it's going to be a unique episode. We I got think. a lot of good stuff. Actually, well, both episodes this month. Yeah. Uh, so in this episode, look forward, of course, to the news, as we always do on our first episode of the month. A uh, sweet battle of the systems, in my opinion. We we take on um, kind of the alternate mascots. We take on the TurboGrafx-16 with Bonk uh, versus Alex the Kid on the Sega Master System, which in America are like the alternate 8-bit systems. Which neither the, I really spent a ton of time with, so it was, it was nice to be able to... Oh, before this month. Before this month, I, I would dabble in them, but I never really tried to get through them. Gotcha. But you're a professional, so you put a lot of time in. I did. This month. I did. Gotcha. Uh, you went ahead and interviewed one of our uh, Patreons. I followers. did. I did. I did the... Supporters. The beer giver, Daniel James. Remember? Oh, Daniel so James. So before we even had a Patreon account, he sent us beer, which is, uh, so that was the first donation. We should make a website. You know how they have like coffee now or Kofi or whatever, how you would say that? Yeah, yeah. It's K-O-F-I. We, we need to make like B-Air, where you buy <laughs> me a B-Air. Yeah. <laughs> um, tea Time with Tim this uh, month is a good one. He's going back to 1985 and having a retro Christmas. Ooh. So uh, looking forward to hearing that. Yes. Um, in our next episode, so much cooler. We'll go over that at the end, but we've got an interview with a, our first video game dev. 
Yeah. So that, I'm really looking forward to hearing that one. There's a guy that I've communicated with for years on Twitter, so I but never never heard an extended conversation with him. So it'll be nice to hear. Very cool. And that's by, by Tim, right? Uh, yeah, Tim. Tim did that interview. So yeah. no tea time next uh, week with our next end of the month episode with Tim, but interview time with Tim. Exactly. Oh, I need to make a whole new bump. <laughs> interview time with Tim and T. All right, let's go ahead and hop into some quick questions. Quick questions. All right. Back by popular demand. I have not read this question, but I see it as long. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> the evil gnome is back. No, that little that, oh, that little bugger. All right, here, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> While walking near your house, you happen to see the evil gnome doing something in a field. <laughs> Let your mind wander. He hasn't seen you yet. So you sneak up through the tall brush and see him about to squash a good lady gnome (laughs) with a giant concrete poodle statue. What on earth is this? Okay. You grab a rock and throw it at him, knocking him down before he can hurt the lady gnome. (laughs) Frightened, he disappears and the lady gnome rushes over to thank you and steals your pants. What on earth is this, Eric? <laughs> in appreciation, she would like to send you to any time period in the past and any location to grab one video game object. The minute you touch it, you will be transported back with you. What is the time period slash object? And yes, you will have to travel with no pants. <laughs> <But> no. <laughs> Honestly, what were you doing to think of this question eric it this just comes to me it, this is just how eric's mind thinks this when he's how, driving is, to and from customers this is how it works around the sacramento area that is correct so my goodness what time period and it can be a used object it could be any a new object any object you touch that's retro gaming related will just send you back with it it has to be something i've seen in the past something from my past nope. or no nope. it can be something new you could walk into toys r us and touch something <laughs> or you could uh you could just grab, go grab your first computer and bring it back. You could do anything you want, or a rare item. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd probably just do it for the money, because then I can buy everything I want now. Fair enough, but what would you get? All right, what would I get? And what year? got to tell and, me the year. Ooh, you have to nail the year? Lady Gnome has to turn the dials in the DeLorean, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> hmm. And you can, get, you can guesstimate the year. Guesstimate the year. Hmm, that sounds like it has to be a consumer item, maybe? I don't know. I'm still thinking that Star Wars Arcade, that still seems like a good fit. But let's go with... I'm going to go... Here we go. I'm going to go with an Atari Falcon. Yes, that is an excellent choice. I hadn't even thought about that. Something rare, except I probably wouldn't sell that. I'd probably just hold on to that. The the Atari Falcon 030. 030, which is the last computer, potentially the last Wedge computer... Yes, Eric. Yeah, I did a lot of research. I didn't, you know, I didn't write that in our notes. We need to talk about that. That was kind of an informal poll, I guess. Yeah, you put it up on Twitter. Well, actually, no, it's a quick question coming up. Oh. Yeah, next episode. Oh, well, look forward to that. I <laughs> look just forward to that. I didn't even know that. Well, okay, you don't know that. the question, but... It's, so what was your object? What was your object? I on it Because I thought about all the stuff that I have, and I, I am envious the of The year, your, by the way, would be 93? Forgot to answer that. Yeah, the probably... Falcon. Yeah, yeah, if it was the last one, uh... Yeah. Yeah, about 93, yeah, ninety three. That's what that's what my research revealed. Which is a uh, web uh, a wedge computer, which is wedge an all in one computer keyboard. Yep, very rare. 
Um, not a whole lot of extra software written for it, but it can play a bunch of other Atari software. Yep. So, so I think that if I had to go back, I, I had a hard time picking between the two. I looked at my collection and I don't think I'd go get something I don't have. I think I would go back and grab my first Commodore 64 just for nostalgia. Like this was my first Commodore 64. Okay. I really regret okay. what happened to that. You're a very nostalgic person. Eric. Yep. I gave it to my sister and then it got destroyed, summarily destroyed after that. So, um, but then I also got to thinking I might grab my very first PC I built myself, which was like a three two a two eighty six. Okay, like it was See, two- these are both very safe answers because you're not wearing pants. I and right. Both of these are in your bedroom where you're probably already not wearing pants. Boom. If you're playing, <laughs> boom, show up. <laughs> the jingle bells well are done. The well jingle done. bells are hanging out. It's, oh jeez, the jingle bells are hanging out. I'm borderline on PG thirteen. Ah, See, I'm in I'm in some like random high end computer shop. You would with no be. pants. That's right. Unless and you knew someone. They might give one. it to me for free at that point. <laughs> Maybe. Just, I, I don't know what you're doing here. Just take all the money. <laughs> I don't it. know what you want. Exactly. Wow, though. So my quick question to you, Eric. Yes. With or without pants? <laughs> how would you... So I was listening to the Coco show. Yes. From our, our boys at the Amigos. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were talking about a game called uh, Donkey King. Yes. I listened to that one. You did. Mm-hmm. Um, and Boat's big problem with the game is it wasn't a good port because it wasn't identical to the other, to Donkey Kong. Right. No, but he didn't say port. He said clone. He said it wasn't a good clone. Right. Well, how do you define clone? What is a clone game to you? So you were, um, kind to put this in our notes so I could think about it ahead of time. Yes. And I added some little notes here. So with that discussion, I think we need to quickly, because it's a quick question, talk about medium-sized questions exactly ports remakes clones those are three things right i mean those are when i think of so here's how i think everybody defines them a little differently i would say a clone is somebody that starts from scratch and writes a game that is like another game very much in the style of in the style of so um you know like uh uh, not, there's like I, I know there was like this kind of centipede clone that wasn't a centipede it, or it was like a caterpillar little something and you weren't a little ship you were something else it's hundred, hundred-legged insect exactly so the clone i think is something that's like it but doesn't have to be exactly like it it's yeah it's a riff off of a known game yep a port is something that i think strives doesn't always achieve but strives to be exactly like the what what you are, I concur. Porting right, yeah. And I've seen ports like the 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 real. Do- There's a five twelve k Donkey Kong on the Coco three, and it li- 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 the code was lifted out of Donkey Kong and put on the Coco three as as much of a port as you can. That's as much, yeah. and, and they had to tweak things here and there, but ultimately that's what I think of as, as a port. Mm-hmm. A remake is, I think, like a reimagining of a game with modern graphics and and it maybe extra levels or different mechanics slightly. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, remake almost has a connotation that it is the original author or original IP owner mm-hmm. doing what they did back then, but using modern techniques. Yeah. So that's my definitions. You, you may vary. No, I, I completely agree, which is why I didn't agree with particularly Boat's opinion on it, which he was saying it's not a good clone because this is different, this is different, the whole game's different. Well, right. no, it's a perfect clone. 
it is definitely not a perfect port because they, yeah, exactly. if you're looking at it as a port, they took a l- way too many liberties. But and that's exactly what how I would say it is like it's not it's a perfect clone. Okay, I just want to make sure I wasn't yeah. crazy. Yeah, and coming from like the Vic Twenty, like as my first computer, there were a lot of clones. Yeah, there weren't a lot of great ports. Well, like, and the Coco specifically had a lot of clones. <laughs> correct, because it just didn't have the horsepower. Like the Vic Twenty that I started with didn't yeah. have the horsepower to do proper ports. So you get a good nibbler out there, though. Pretty good nibbler. Great nibbler. And there's like Omega Race, which is a lot like the arcade yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. But, you know, come on. The Pac-Man looks like big, chunky. Better than Atari 2600. See, and that would be a clone, right? No, because that's Pac-Man. That's supposed to, supposed to be a, a port. It's supposed to be a port. but it's I a would bad call, port. But technically, I would say it's a clone. <laughs> ooh, ooh, dicey. Well, I think we'll have to leave that one where it is. It's an officially, you and I disagree. O- officially licensed clone. <laughs> don't, I don't want to have a, a Christmassy fight no. on air. All right. Well, I'm going to take this time real quick to go over our show information. You can find us uh, online at pixelguiden.com. Or you can pull us up on Twitter at pixel underscore guyden. Uh, Eric is at the project on Twitter, and I am at oddball49. That's O D D B A 1149. Our boy Tim uh, is at sanction on Twitter, S A N X I O N, otherwise known as sanction. Having his team. Have you heard him say that? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yep. Uh, we also would love if you guys could review us on iTunes. Or what is now called Apple Podcasts. Ah, that is news to me. Yep. Our email address, if you want to reach out, is podcast at com, And we encourage feedback. We demand feedback. We demand it. We never get it, but we demand it. <laughs> uh, we get some. We get we some get time some, yep. and time again. For example, we got some uh, feedback from uh, a boy named Louie here. Um, or is it Louie? Yeah, it is Louie, right? It is Louie. You know what? Let's, let's get our patrons out of the way real quick. We'll get back to Louie. I want to mention Louie, though. Okay. Um, we have a new little thing here we're going to be doing uh, for for each month, so two episodes, uh, to announce our patrons. Um, if you want to go ahead and donate to the show financially, we'd love to have you as a patron. Go to patreon.com at pixelguyden, and uh, you can throw us a few bucks, um, or one buck, or... That's probably as low as you can go, right? One buck or three bucks is what we ask, and uh, one buck will get you our thanks. One hundred to two hundred dollars is highly encouraged. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, three dollars, we will mention your name on the show. There you go. Perfect. Yep. So this is what I'm going to do here. I want. I've been trying for a while to think of a fun way to do this. I want to announce our patrons in a fun way, and two things. I love doing it with music behind me, so I'm going to do it every time with a theme. All right. And then every time I mention someone's name, I'm using a, I have it up on the line here, a random adjective generator. And this random adjective generator is going to give me uh, basically a way to describe each of these people. It is completely random. And every once in a while, I might be getting offensive one. So I apologize, but that's just part of being a patron now. If you are bumpy, then we apologize ahead of time. (laughs) Bumpy? (laughs) The bumpy Eric Nelson. Exactly. So let's go ahead, Eric, and, uh, Hop on down to the Blues Clubs. All right. Hey, cool cats. Thanks for hanging out with the band here at Eric Nelson's House of Blues. Real quick, before we move on, I want to introduce the band. First up, banging the skins, playing the drums, is our elastic Tim Drew. On the bass, slapping the fat strings, we've got the... Opish. Opish. <laughs> Jim Tessier. Mm. On the Yaz guitar, 
the strange Henrik Lilfol. Nice. Pretty good, right? You hear yeah, that? That was, that was good. good. That was good. Yeah, thank you. Mm. Blowing hard on that sax. We've got the the arrogant Roy Fielding. That's not nice. I I know him. He's not arrogant. <laughs> well, my uh, Google.com here would like to disagree. Up next on the alto sax is the encouraging Gary Heather. What a good, what a nice guy to be encouraging. Right. This one's boring. I'm skipping that one. Ah, this one's kind of fun. On the saxiest of all the saxes, the bass sax, we've got the obedient Dustin Newell. Playing that jazz triangle, the complex Matthew Ackerman. Blowing on the old French horn. Ah, oh, that's a No, no. <laughs> no, that's not nice. Oh, there there you go. we go. Play, blowing on the old French horn, the malicious Daniel James. The flugelhorn! That's right, my jazz band has a flugelhorn. Wow. We're listening to our materialistic Josh Malone. Popping in on the jazz cello, the inconclusive David Vincent. Hopping down and playing some super sick double kazoo, the spiky retro gamer nation. All right. And last but not least on the harpsichord, our boy, the Cloudy Doug from 10-Minute Amiga Retrocast. Yay! Yay! Thank you to all our patrons. We really appreciate... I can't say that word, can I? Patreon? Patreons. Patrons. Patreons. They would technically be our patrons, I guess. Patrons. Patreonins. Uh, yep. It almost sounds like a uh, tequila. Does it say something about our society that most of the adjectives in our language are negative? <laughs> like, you're scrolling through those <laughs> and I'm like... That's just your mind. Get oh, out of the man. Gutter. Yeah, there's a few in there we had to pass on because yeah. they're a little too offensive. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Hey, let's get some beer going. Oh, please. Yes, do it. Um, if you want, I will start cracking open and pouring some beers while okay. you read the note we got from Louis. Sounds good. Which beer are we starting with today? Um, as you know, Tim, our boy, Tim Drew, sent us over some beers from the old UK, and we've got a couple left here to drink. So uh, I'm going to just go with uh, the red one. Okay. Do you have a bottle opener? Uh, of course not. I'm not prepared. I have one. Good. So let me read some feedback that we got from Louis Demofsky, or what I guess he may be better known as on Twitter as at RetroGamerNation. Oh, that, okay. Which he's also a Patreon supporter. I so. just read his name and I didn't know who yep. he was. So. so that is him. And well, thank you, Louis. This is a small bit of errata, which, which um, I don't have a clear memory on, but he says that we had talked about his poll that he does about popular c64 games and we had ascribed it to uh rgcd so i don't remember that episode but i can i'll take his word for it but i did tell him that we would talk about the poll the 2019 poll this episode so he sent me an email which i'll read from right now hi eric and cody as mentioned last week i'll be running a popular vote poll to determine the rgn c64 gamers choice award for 2019 all of the detail of the poll can be found at, and there's a link, which I'll put in our show notes. That link. And there will be a link to the poll on, the, on this page on the 15th of December. This will be the second year I'm running this award. Last year's poll attracted 1,152 legitimate votes. Nice. 
Last year's winner was Rocky Memphis, Legend of Atlantis. We played that on... You know, I started playing that. I really want to dig into it. I've heard great things about it. Okay. Um, but it's one I think I have to kind of read the manual first. Yep. I think you have to hit, like, keyboard shortcuts and stuff. Gotcha. So I want to get into that one. It was developed by the team now known as Icon64. I was lucky enough to have found Ray Raider Computers, who donated the unique award shown below. I did see that award. It looks pretty cool. It looks pretty sweet, yeah made from welsh slate and they agreed to sponsor the award again so that's oh i didn't neat. know that's what it, yeah it looked like a piece of stone like a yeah. rectangular piece of stone with a plaque on it it looked very nice as this is a popular vote award i want to get as many c64 gamers involved with the vote as possible and it would be great of great help if you could talk about this poll as part of your upcoming mid-december podcast episode all the best louis well look what we just did we did it cool well thanks for holding that louis because those things are really cool um let's uh pour one out for my homie louis <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, dude. Um, all right. This beer is a Glastonbury, Glastonbury Real Ale Thriller Rare Cappuccino Porter. Ooh. 5% alcohol by volume. This is one of your choices, uh, yes. Eric. Yes. That's why I was like, ooh, that's, I remember asking for this. So cheers, my friend. Cheers. Go it's ahead and take a sip of that bad boy. It says Thriller. Yes. Thriller. We're attacking Thriller. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start with some errata while we taste these beers. Oh, this is delicious. You like this one? Mm. Um, so I went back, I'm trying to catalog all of our games and all of the things we've discussed. Yes. And I've only made it like four episodes in, but I've noticed some things listening to episode four specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I brought up how Mr. Driller, you remember this a few months ago. I'm like, did you know Mr. Driller was related to Dig Dug? Yes. Well, yeah, you, you actually told me that in episode four. Did I? So I'm a dumb dumb. <laughs> I also talked about buying Galf. Yeah, the, uh, NES cart from Limited Range ga- Games before yes. anyone else was like reproducing NES carts. Yeah, and I was talking about how if nothing else, they'll go up in value. Uh, I did check today; it went up like ten dollars in value. Mm, it still went up. <laughs> it still went up. Uh, but I did when I checked. I'm like, ooh, I could actually get. So that's good because I could still go get one because it's like a legit boxed NES golf game. Yeah, from um, uh, uh, Golf Story. Yeah, I've read about it. It's really Sounds cool. great. Yeah. Um, I also in the episode said this. <clears throat> Yeah, the Nintendo 64 Mini is pretty much confirmed at this point. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. No, the rumor mill's still churning on that one. That was it. Oh, uh, I just read something the other day like that because of all these patents and and things like that, that it's rumored that it's going to come out, but I don't know how they're going to emulate that correctly. I thought Nintendo officially announced they're done with minis. I didn't. I, well, I these that. are these are rumors that are turning, not from Nintendo, but yeah. they do have some patents, I guess, that are somehow related. I, I really don't know. Yeah. I'm just going to wait and see. We also opened a box of goodies, including these beers, from mm-hmm. Tim. Yes. And we talked all about these really cool biscuits that he sent us, and we were excited to try them. They were not biscuits. They were tea. Tea. Flavored like biscuits. That's right. I've almost drinking. Drinking? Drinking. Drink, wow, drink. that's good. All of that tea. Did you? I've been having it like nightly. It's delicious. Awesome. So well done. Is that caffeinated tea? Uh, Probably. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. It's really mild and you have to add like sugar and cream to kind of make it work. Otherwise, it's probably too bland. But it's really good. Oh, awesome. Something sweet. I have had it. I just I'm not a tea guy. So I'm going to have to go back and try to become one. Gotcha. Gotcha. So speaking of uh, uh, our interview next episode. Next episode. Yeah. Is with Juan Martinez. Mm Mm-hmm. And he actually wrote us a little thing about Quasitron. I was hoping you can get your reading voice back out and uh, sure. let us know what he said. So, Juan says, Paradroid by Andrew Braybrook, Braybrook, and Quasitron is by Steve Turner. 
we said it was both by Andrew Braybrook. Yep, Brooke. we're like the same guy. From Ronamana fame, amongst others. Not same author, although good friends and partners in Graphgold. Not that really matters, but it explains some bits. Not sure Braybrook did any specky. Quasitron was isometric because of the humble specky. Didn't, doesn't have the hardware scroll and isometric. Looks nicer. Um, let's see. It was a good move. Instead of being a bad paradroid, the C64 has hardware-assisted scrolling. Quasitron dared to be different and add some bits. There we go. We stand corrected by someone who actually knows what he's talking about. <clears throat> and so. I, I think, man, I think Quasitron looks so cool, and I just wish I could have controlled it. If I could have controlled it, I think I would have loved it. Yeah. It, my, my, only de- my only real negative was that I could not control it. Oh, but it, it was such my- a big negative. I couldn't control it to save my life, therefore I can't play it, and therefore... Agreed. It, it, I just, it just couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. I absolutely agree. What do you think of this beer? It's delightful. Oh, really? You really like it, huh? Yeah, do you like, do you like it? I like some of the flavors, but it's... Um, I'm going to use the word vapid. Really? Sorry, I'm getting all, I'm not getting all scientific here. Yeah. Um, it's got good... It's like watery. I don't know. It's, there's not much there. The flavors there. are good. They're just light. They're very light. Yeah. It's a dark beer. I mean, you can't see. It's like black. It is black. But, but somehow it's light. I got to say, I really like it because I, I, I like the crispness of it. And yeah. I know porters tend. This is a porter, right? Um, Cappuccino porter. That's yeah. That's a cappuccino surprising. should be like most cappuccinos are not crisp. They're kind of, um, I don't know Syrupy. how to say. I have this mouthfeel of being full bodied. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yep. there's no crisp edge to them. This has that, but it has the taste of a porter to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, agree, but I, agree, I agree with all of that. Does not have the mouthfeel of a porter, though. Yeah, and doesn't have the stained flavor. I don't know. I still do like it. I enjoy it. Yeah. I would absolutely drink it. I'd probably even buy it again. Um, so out of uh, 80 Michael Jackson gloves. Since <laughs> it's a thriller. What, what would you rate this thriller porter? Out of 80, I'd give this one a solid 65. Okay. I'm going to go 55. There we go. So there we go. We rated our first beer of the episode. And, um... It's a bit nutty. It's a a a bit nutty? It's a bit nutty. No, it's not nutty. It's cappuccino. I get some cappuccino. I do. I I taste quite a bit. I like it. Yeah. I don't love it. I love the other two Glastonbury ones we already had. Oh, one was Glastonbury, one was Yeovil. We have another one coming up, right? Yes, we do. That we do. I have a really quick game show for you, Eric. Right on. And you know how you love our game shows. I do. So, Eric, yep. let's play... Um, what's the cool name for this? Cody Asks Eric Random Questions. Eric Nelson. I, you know, these games are always like, make Eric sound stupid. Would <laughs> you just name them that? Can we just get the name of the game show out of the way? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let's play Make Eric Sound Stupid. Excellent. <laughs> At least we're being honest. All right. Actually, this first one <laughs> might make you feel stupid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I knew, I knew it was. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I'm a good sport. Listening back to episode four, you made a statement, and I want to see if you can still figure out what your statement was. Sure. You definitively said the best type of game to chill out with because it requires no thinking is this type of game. Okay. Oh, and I got to tell you what type what is of the game? genre of game. The genre of game. Um, shmup. Where's my button? You got it right, dude. <laughs> right on. Woo! 
I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, so I'm surprised I can remember what I said back then. I, I just thought it was funny because I disagree. I think they're stressful, and my I'm on edge of my seat with shmups. So. Really? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty chill out when I play them. Um, you just let the drool kind of pour out of the right side <laughs> of your mouth. Yep. I uh, find platformers much more stressful than shmups. Eh, okay. All right, next question. Uh, last question. Again, it's a quick game. Okay. I uh, recently looked at the Pixel Guide in uh, statistics. Yeah. I know you know what the number one and number two country are as far as listenership. I think I do, yep. Uh, U.S. U.S. and U.K. And followed by, uh, yeah, U.K. Okay. What is the third place country as far as percentage of our listenership? I'm going to say it's between, and I'll pick one at the end, but I think it's between Canada or... Hold on. Um, let's say uh, Canada or Germany. I'm going to say Canada. Oh, I hit a button. I'm hitting the no button. It's not working right now. Oh, no. Oh. That's a no sound. That's a Why no not? sound. <laughs> it is not, my friend. The correct uh, answer, Australia. Aust- I should have known that. I should have known that. Whatever. Let's just do the news. So right off the top, we yes. always uh, have a bunch of game releases for, like, old computers and stuff. Yeah. Let's just list those right now and get that out of the way, even though they are some of my favorite topics of the month. Sure, enough, and I have one down here if you want to include it, lump it into the top ones. See the one at the bottom there in the news? I uh, don't, but if we don't cover it, throw it up there. Okay, sounds good. Um, so the first one, we just mentioned Juan Martinez. We have an interview. Hey, who, who would have thought? We haven't mentioned that yet, have we? No. We, next uh, episode. <laughs> um. He came out with his, I believe it's his second MSX game, which you and I love our MSX. We do. And it is a shmup, and uh, uh, it's a very good shmup. When I loaded this up, I was, I was amazed. I know you had mentioned that it was just very, very good. Level design was perfect. Yeah. The uh, name of it, real quick, if I, I'm going to say it wrong, but it's Uchusen Gamma? Uchusen? Uchusen Gamma or something like that, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you have an MSX, download and play it. If you don't, an emulator and download it and play it yeah even on emulator this would be fantastic yeah so you played a bunch of it huh? <clears throat> i played a lot of it I, I didn't get as far as you did but um that's not saying that much well i yeah i don't remember where i got but i got enough to where i got a good feel for the game and it's it is it it's awesome it's amazing you, you, and you know what blows my mind is this this is this can play on a regular msx mm-hmm. did you know that it's not an msx2 yep that blows my mind because it plays like an msx2 game smooth yeah. scrolling yeah, the smooth scrolling is impressive because MSX yeah. is often choppy. Correct. Um, so. But to me, uh, if you guys don't know what an MSX is, it's a Japanese microcomputer, but it feels and plays a lot like an NES. Yeah. To me. I mean, I, that's that's what I'd consider it. Yeah. Um, But this game is really good. Like you mentioned, uh, I'm really impressed with his control over level design and enemies and what they do. Um, When you first see the game, it looks cool. It mm-hmm. doesn't look amazing. But when you play it, you're just like, oh, this is good. Because everything's so smooth. Everything is smooth. And the sound is great. Um, it's Yeah, but it's also like a lot of these games that are made for these old systems now, you'll play them and the bullet patterns kind of get samey or they get boring or you're way too hard or way too easy. And you just realize how when you have a professional team working on these things day and night to release a product for sale, mm-hmm. uh, you take 
for granted how much time goes into playtesting and getting the difficulty right, putting the right difficulty level one, two, three, four, five. Yep. And he does it. Many it's times really you, good. Many times you'll have a techni- a great technical programmer, but a poor level and mechanics designer. Yeah. Or the or the opposite. Kind of a crappy programmer, but great ideas. But he he's got it all. Absolutely. Did you play Super Mario Land on the Super Nintendo? I read about it. I have not played it yet. Did you? I did. How was it? It's cool. So if you notice, there's not a lot of games that come out for the Super Nintendo anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, homebrewers and That's stuff. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's really hard to program for the system. I don't know. Um, Justice Beaver. That, you know, that's true. I did get one game, and you're, you're still waiting on yours. <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, but I've never actually played Super Mario Land. I think as a kid, I played like a level or two. I've never played the, it. On yeah. the Game Boy. Mm-hmm. And uh, this <clears throat> basically takes that. This would be uh, a remastering. Oh, or so a, a remake. A remake. It should be more or less a remake. Perfect. But it's really cool because it looks like... Um, it almost looks like... <sighs> It's like Super Mario World, but almost kind of 3D-ish, the way they did the sprites. Oh, wow. And, but it plays solid. Like, I actually plugged in just to get a feel for it, and I played for, like, 40 minutes. And it was really good. It felt like a Nintendo game. I'm going to I'm gonna load it up then. I mean, you know how Nintendo-, Nintendo games have that feel? Kind of like, mm-hmm. there's enough challenge to keep it interesting, but it's not challenging. Yeah. Um, everything just kind of moves the way you want it to. You never get mad at the physics. They do what you expect them to do. Mm-hmm. It has it. That's it's awesome. really cool. I'm going to try it. Um, this one just got announced today, as of today. Uh, Star Vagrant is a new space trading game for the Atari, XL, and XE computers. I have not heard of this Anytime one. Anytime a game comes out for kind of the lesser-loved systems, mm-hmm. the Ataris and the MSX, I get excited. So I took a look at it. Um, it's very uh, kind of text-based with kind of some still pictures. Mm. Um, I'm, I've never played Elite, but I think it's got kind of an Elite feel. I kind of just going to different planets and seeing what they have for sale and buying and trading and going to other planets and uh, you have to manage your fuel and things. I loved Elite on the C sixty four. It was one of the one game in the past I've played a ton. Yeah, I would. I think. See, I don't know enough about Elite to say for sure, but I think this is kind of in that vein. And uh, I never figured out how to play Elite. I think it's something you have to have the manual or have someone show you. It helps. Yeah. Yeah. That's another one. Um, this was an interesting one, and actually. Uh, I mentioned it to Jerry at the Sacramento Amiga Computer Club. Ooh. And I said, hey, did you know there's a new game for Amiga OS 4.1, which is like the brand new Amiga? Mm-hmm. That's right. I said brand new Amiga. That's still news to me. Yeah. Um, it's called Blastaway. So they actually, uh, I don't know if you knew, Eric, but we missed the December uh, meeting. I, I met, no, I, I did not know. It didn't even occur to me. So. No, I thought I thought they took a month off, but I guess that month was November and December already happened, so... Uh, anyways, they did show this game. They went ahead and pulled it up based on my rec- not recommendation, but my information, and they went up. They played it. That's what they did on part of the meeting. Oh man, that's kind of cool. From a from a uh, company called Retream. I would have liked to have seen that, but uh, yeah. So the, it is available on PC as well, but that's not fun. No, I'd I'd want to play it on Amiga. <laughs> um, this is a big one, and I'm excited about this one. Black Dawn Rebirth mm-hmm. on I Amiga. Saw, I, I saw Doug's. Uh, video of it. Oh, I didn't. I haven't seen Tenmark, that. Tenmark, uh, Doug, at uh, ten minute retro, Amiga the, retro, the cloudy, the cloudy, the cloudy, Doug. yeah, um, yeah. I he has a whole video on it, like because I think he got a copy before it came out, and uh, and he had some criticisms of it. Oh, really? Okay, but I guess the the author took those criticisms to heart and 
released a 1.1. Yep. I saw they did. released version 1.1. He did. And <clears throat> I guess it fixed a, a lot of the issues. So that's really that's cool. That's really cool. Because I actually uh, put out on Twitter, too, because I tried to load on my A600, which, mm-hmm. by the way, I've now used and touched and played with. Thank you, Tim. Yes. Um, and for whatever reason, it won't load. It won't. The demo version is what I got. And it won't pop up. The mm-hmm. title screen pops up, but we're supposed to say, like, start or new game or whatever. Doesn't that those words never pop up? I'll have to try to play it. And it's, I haven't I haven't tried yet. I watched that video and it looks cool. It's like Dungeon Master for those of you out there who play Dungeon Master, um, but like high res space Dungeon Master. Mm-hmm, exactly, it looks cool. Yep. So uh, yeah, I would like to give that a shot. Um, again, I typically don't like announcing new games that are not out yet. Mm-hmm. The games in the making, but I did have to mention these two because I've never heard of any homebrews since I've been doing the show or even years before that for this system, but the Intellivision's getting two new games. Yeah, I saw this first one. Um, the first one here is Castlevania. So they're, I don't know if they're actually calling it Intellivania or they're, they're just making that name up. I don't know, but it looked good. It looked good and it sounded amazing. Cause I was, didn't hear the sound, but I, I saw the video of it and it looked like it was, it looked pretty close to the NES version of Castlevania. Yeah. Um, and it looks, it's kind of a reimagining cause some of the levels look similar, but they kind of move stuff around a few different things. So I'd yeah. appreciate that cause I don't want to just play the exact same game. Right. Um, but then also Prince of Persia is coming to the Intellivision. Wow. That's come, that's been showing up on a lot of different systems lately. I remember when it came out on the C64 and everyone was just blown, their minds were blown because it was so good. I think it was Mac only originally. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, where was the first place? I don't remember where I first saw Prince of Persia, but yeah, it might have been. Hmm. Hmm. And then I want to throw in this one. Uh, so ZX Spectrum, new puzzle game, Dirty Dozer. Yeah. Um, I actually got to play this one. Okay. I downloaded it. Um, it 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 has like a thing that usually Eric doesn't like. Eric doesn't like puzzle games that much. <laughs> but this <laughs> Eric one, talks in the third person when yeah, he's thinking exactly. about puzzle games. Um, this one doesn't have a timer, so that's a plus for me. But you're a little bulldozer that can jump, and you, the jump mechanics are really nice. And you have to push this crate into a gateway. And mm, that sounds puzzly. So you have to like remove walls and and jump around and try to figure out the best path to push the crate, and then you push it in the thing. And I got to like level seven or something, which is unusual for me for a puzzle game. I probably played it for a good forty five minutes. Oh yeah, so you didn't enjoy it though. Too. Yeah, they give you lots of lives until it became difficult, and you're like, yeah, it's not fun anymore. I think I had to go somewhere actually, <laughs> but um, but it's one of those games where you do so- want to keep trying to keep clearing a level and, and you played that on your 48k 48k cool and it's very colorful really nice well every spectrum game is colorful yeah well, well or um, monochrome yeah <laughs> so anyway dirty what dozer is it, what is it with uh, a releases lately with um uh construction vehicles that can jump what was the other one uh a minor or a minor a, a, a minor that on one Amiga. did it um, yeah that's right there's a remake we'll get to here in a second of moon patrol which is a moon buggy that can just jump randomly yeah um I don't know why that's a thing, but okay. A lot of people in video games like their, uh, I guess that's no different than large, fully cooked turkeys on the road giving you health. <laughs> right. Um, this is a fun little one. Oh, no, let me get back to this one. Yeah. We mentioned some uh, uh, some retro game contests, uh, dev contests. Um, I didn't even know about this one, and I don't own one of these yet, but after Tim... I was always interested in the Amstrad but after Tim's last episode. Yeah. Where he went ahead and went through the Amstrad series in depth. Yeah. I have to own one. I know you're, you're, you want a BBC. I micro. want a BBC micro, yeah. I want the Amstrad, so we need to double package that or do something, but I really want an Amstrad. 
Uh, but there is a CPC Retro Dev Contest uh, 2019. And uh, congratulations to the winner, apparently. Uh, Miss Input is the name of the game that won. So good job on that. Miss um, Input. Miss Input. And oh my gosh, the games look so cool. There's 35 entries. That's a lot. Um, yeah, we'll have to put a link in the show notes. I just realized I don't have it on our notes here, but we'll have to add that. Um, did you know that if you have a spare $2.3 million laying around, mm-hmm. you can buy the home in uh, California of that was previously owned by the Sierra Online founders. I didn't know that. So the, the uh, Roberta and Ken Williams made this house, and it's fun because they have a window. I'm guessing it's in the bathroom. It's a small round window. That is the Sierra Online logo. No, oh. so you can buy that with the house. You get a little Sierra Online logo in your house. I'm gonna have to cash in some of my stocks and bonds and and just go pick up the uh, 2.3 million dollar house. Yeah, perfect. Um, I wonder if anyone's gonna actually buy it for that reason. You would have to find just the right person, but yeah. I'm sure it's in the Bay Area. They didn't say where it was, but I'm sure it's in the Bay Area where all this stuff happens. So yeah, I bet you it adds hundred thousand dollars, something like that. That's kind of cool. I can see someone buying it and going, "Hey, remove that window." <laughs> <laughs> uh, put it on ebay do something with it right cool um we've talked about uh sarah jane avery and her game neutron which is great shmup well, yeah it's a fun little shmup uh for the c64 well she went ahead and kind of reskinned it and put some new music over it and now it's called santron which is a santa christmas themed neutron yeah. so you can go pick that up i heard the uh the rendition of Z- jingle bells and then all the little power-ups and things that come down are like... Uh, Candy canes and yep, stuff like that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, though, that's great. So that's kind of cool. Um, we've talked a lot about arcade 1-Up products on the show. Yes. Uh, small arcades, uh, you know, three-quarter scale arcades that you can play. Have you heard of the 12 games in one virtual pinball that's coming out for $400? I didn't, and I'd love to see a picture of it because that sounds pretty interesting to me. Is it? Is it like a... It's like one of those pinballs with the LCD that is the flatbed, and then there's... Um, yeah, more or less. Um, I'm going to try to pull it up sure. here, because I think it's worth taking a look at. Are they um, pretty well-known tables? So, it, so when I first saw this, I was very excited about it. Yeah. In fact, here it is on Walmart.com for four... I'm sorry, for $3.99, so 400 bucks. Okay. Perfect price point. Mm. Now, when you look at it, you kind of go, oh, that's pretty cool looking. That is pretty cool perfect but looks pretty cool yeah um there's pros and cons i love pinball yeah virtual pinball has never felt right to me okay but to get a small it's kind of three quarters ish scale mm-hmm. in your house for 400 bucks with 12 different game pinball games you can play yes pretty cool you, you know you actually have the buttons on the side it's got legs it's got a back panel and everything but then i started reading a little bit more and it's not quite as cool as i was hoping um issue number one that back panel is for a game called haunted house yes it's actually a pretty cool game okay um the original haunted house was the first pinball to have three play fields um and it had i think six total flippers on it, it had two at the bottom two in an upper play field and then down in the middle kind of like black hole which is another game i used to have there's two that face the opposite way and flipped up towards you okay and that play field leans the other way um anyways the art package on here including the back panel, doesn't change. That's just a big sticker. So no matter what game you're playing on the table, it's always going to say Haunted House on the back. Is there even score up there, or is it... So there are LCD screens up here, and I think those do indeed keep your score. Like, this says Player 1, Player 2. Okay. Um, But your complaint mainly is cosmetic. Well, that's the first one. Second of all, if you look at the 
screen in here yeah a huge bezel that's a big bezel that's only like a 24 inch screen and a huge bezel so it's not like your play field looks like it's taking up the whole machine it's I taking wonder why up they did that like two-thirds of the machine yeah why did they do that well, come sure for, to try to get hit that 399 cost point that's too bad i wonder if you could replace that screen <laughs> and then here's the last part of it which isn't necessarily a con i mean it, to me it kind of is but whatever um so this game is specific to Gottlieb titles. Okay. Gottlieb uh, was really big in the electromechanical days. Yeah. Uh, when they got into the uh, 80s, and definitely, in there, I guess there was a couple near the 90s, uh, quality kind of went way down. Okay. Um, so the titles that they have that I really appreciate, Black Hole, we already mentioned Haunted House is in here. Um, I actually really like Eldorado as well, which is a reskinned version of another game. Um, pretty good game. Uh, Big Shot's kind of fun. That's an old electromechanical game. Mm-hmm. And then they've got a bunch of these kind of just um, jacks opened, uh, going nuts. Um, trying to see the other games here. Uh, Class of 1812 is kind of a stinker. Bone Busters kind of a stinker. Victory. I actually kind of enjoy Victory. Lights, Camera, Action is boring. Uh, TX Sector is actually a really good game. So you kind of got four or five out of 12 there that are pretty good. I mean, all pinball's good. Mm-hmm. Um but we'd have to see how this actually plays, because if you've ever played any virtual, you know, mm-hmm. physical, like, realistic type pinball, yeah, the physics make everything. Uh, you kind of helped introduce me to pin- Pinball FX3 yeah. on the Switch, and it's actually pretty good it now. It is pretty good. Um, there's a lot of other ones that are just really, really poor. Gotcha. Um, I love Pinball Arcade, but they lost all their licenses. But anyways, it's cool that it exists. Um, just looking at it without playing one, I would not personally buy this for 400 bucks. Um it would probably have to fall to see. I mean, I'd be even afraid at two hundred bucks because I don't feel like it's going to have a huge resale market like the arcade one ups. Yeah. Not that they have a resale market, but um, I think you're going to be stuck with a big box, a tiny screen. It's not. It, it looks cool from afar, but it's not something that you want on display. The way it looks, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm intrigued by virtual pinball though because it does solve a lot of problems of space. You can if you don't want ten pinball machines, you can get one and have a bunch of tables on it. And I've seen ones that look great. Like the screens go all the way to the edges. There's yeah. a whole TV for the top as well, like the back. Yep, the whole back glass actually changes. So the whole back changes. simulates that pinball machine. Yep. So, but, you know, when I've seen those, they're like 10 grand, 12 grand. So it's like... Yeah, they're uh, a lot. And that's cool, though, because they they're full size. Correct. And in the cabinet, they even have, um, if you want to call them click-clack relays or contactors. But when you hit the button, it actually makes it feel like the table, like, shutters a little bit yeah. under the pressure of the flipper flipping yeah so i mean it, they there's so many cool things they can do mm-hmm. um they can put tilts and stuff in there so you can't tilt the machine you know everything right um and now i'm looking here at the uh arcade one up uh counter arcades which i talked about in the store how they're kind of mm-hmm. sm- smaller than i thought yes uh looks like they have dropped to 100 bucks now uh at least at walmart so this one was 199 originally oh wow which is what i saw it now they're down to 99 bucks but now you can kind of see my point, which I didn't see in the store necessarily. Okay. So it's almost a full-size countertop, but the screen inside is There's a massive bezel. It's another massive bezel. No, it looks good. It's got and one player and stuff. One player, too. And they're all one-player games. Yep. Now, I think that I might get one of these. and because At that price, I might. Because I want to gut it and, and kind of do my own thing with it. Because... Let's face it, I don't play my... Mine's a two-player, and I don't play it two-player all that much. Yeah. It would be nice to have a quick and dirty one that's one-player. 
and you know what I mean? Yep, and here's the one I saw, which is the Space Invaders, and that one you can really see how small the screen is. Yeah. And that's tiny. Yeah, the screen's tiny, but they're, they're still kind of almost a full-sized. I just, for 200 bucks, it was too much. For 100 bucks, this is kind of cool now. Yeah. And and I guess we could just drill holes to put more buttons, but it, there's not a six-button six one, is there? Well, look at look at Space Invaders here. Yeah. Um, let me zoom in here. So Barely. it's got three buttons, and you could not fit... You could probably fit one more up here. Was Dig Dug like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, these things aren't aren't big. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a neat... I would like that for raw materials. <laughs> yep. so, I mean, j- literally, I would gut it immediately, because that doesn't interest me one one bit. Huh, I, don't I know. like the artwork. Yeah. It looks good. Yeah. Cool. So, I think you got the next turn here, my, my do, friend. Do I? Let me take a look here. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, yep. So I came across um, this on Twitter, and it's an Atari 5200 controller where they give you the, the, um, the files to do a 3D print of the housing, but it, they, they're, they're making the PCB. So you still have to print the housing, um, but you, it, it basically is an Atari 5200 controller with the keypad and everything. Really? But it's built into a controller that looks more like an Xbox or PlayStation controller. Oh, okay, so like this one right here? Kinda? Yeah. Yeah, that looks exactly like it. So that's the case. Somebody printed it for you so you don't have to go through the thing of printing it. So you would just get the PCB, pop it in, and you're good to go. And it's even got all the uh, buttons in the center. And I assume, um, didn't the 5200 have overlays? It did. So I assume that you could fit overlays over this too. Hopefully that's designed into it. Probably. I, it wouldn't be a deal breaker if it wasn't because the overlays weren't that complicated. Usually it's like, you know, hit this button to scroll in the menu or something. It's something that you could easily track with something else. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, but if I get a 5200 one of these days, I'm still kind of trying to track one down. Well, the hardest part about those is getting one with good controllers. That's where the issue is. That's right. And so I would, this gives you a brand new controller with a new PCB, nice buttons, boom. And it's, it's more ergonomic. So you're not going to get the hand cramping because the buttons on the 5200 are on the side. And after a while, they yeah. they get very, very tiring to use. So I, uh, I have that issue with the 7800 and that's a better controller. Yeah. So anyway, I thought that was neat. I think that's going to solve a lot of problems with finding a 5200 because I don't even really care if I get the controllers now. I can just order one of those. Yeah, you got to get at least one original one. I'd get one, but... Yeah, yeah. hopefully get one working. Yep. Okay. Um, The SNES uh, CD tech Mm -hmm. documents went up for sale on Japanese eBay, and they sold for $3,000. Wow. So I guess somebody in Japan found a, a... paper with ink on it that said tech documents and everybody lost their minds uh, yes yeah i mean i think they sold to a japanese uh, buyer maybe not but i know it was on japanese ebay for three thousand dollars so that's something and they were probably confirmed authentic maybe uh i don't know how you would confirm that but hopefully you would yeah. you would think so um i also wanted to go ahead and just really quickly mention the new games on switch online yeah um for the Super Nintendo online, uh, Star Fox 2, which is kind of neat, but we got it with our, our minis. Got it with the minis, and I never really played it anyway, so... Yeah, it was it was kind of half-baked, mm-hmm. um, literally. Super Punch-Out, that's a good one. That's Kirby a good Superstar. One. Which I want to play. I'd love to play through that. I like Kirby games. Yeah. Um, I've never actually played through a Kirby game. Hmm. I've played a little bit of the NES one, and I really want to dig into it, but the, I have uh, not. Adventureland on the NES, I love that game, and I beat it. Legends? Oh, okay. 
The Adventureland on the NES. Adventureland, okay. Uh, Kirby's Adventureland, and I that's one game that me and my neighbor were playing, and we were both playing it kind of in parallel, and we beat it. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Breath of Fire 2, which <clears throat> I started the original Breath of Fire on the Nintendo Online. Oh, I've never played Breath of Fire. Pretty cool. It seems to be a pretty standard RPG from the time, but yeah. Great. All right. I think if you really liked RPGs, you'd like it, but if you don't really like RPGs, it's just kind of average, which is where I'm falling into them. Okay. Uh, for the NES, these are two I'm excited about. I, sh- I say excited. I already have them and play them. Okay. But I think it's cool that they released Journey to Silius. Never played it. So what's cool about that is you play the game. It's kind of this cool futuristic city that you're... It's an action run-and-gun platformer. Yeah. And uh, But you're just kind of this random dude running through there, and it kind of feels out of place. That's because originally the game was going to be called Terminator 2. Oh, really? And they lost the license. <clears throat> so wow. they just changed all the characters in it and called it Journey to Silius and made their own kind of custom IP. That's funny. Uh, and then Crystallis, which is... You and I have both played that, I think. Yep. Um, I've beat that game, and that's uh, a really good Zelda clone. Yes. Um, which is funny. We can get that. We'll get to this later as well. But I think every Zelda clone I've played, I like more than Zelda. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a fair statement. That's sure. just the, the truth of it to me. So. Yep. Um, at games, they're at it again. Oh, um, oh no! <laughs> wah wah wah. <laughs> So they came out with a new Legends flashback. Uh, 100 games built in. Unless you get it at Sam's Club, then you get 10 other games. Um, there's actually some pretty good games in here. There are, yeah. I was just um, looking through the list. Fix-It Felix Jr.? Yeah, they put, yeah, they have uh, the kind of... I think that was like a homebrew, to be honest, where they kind of made their own kind of yeah. Donkey Kong-style Fix-It Felix game. It's funny how they're kind of retconning it to actually be a retro game. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean... The Sega Genesis Mini came out, which is what the Legends stuff used to be, mm-hmm. I believe. And so it still has that hideous, I want to be a Genesis, but I'm not, look. Yeah, look it's at those controllers. and everything. It's the controllers look exactly like the six button. Yep. And uh, they got stuff in here from the ColecoVision, Capcom, Disney, Lucasfilm, from Tetris. Um, it's just kind of an amalgamation of stuff. And I, anyways, they're still making this garbage. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we, I guess there's no price on there, huh? Not on this page. I don't know. I Do we care? I say don't buy it. Yeah, I, do we care enough to look? I don't care if it's on sale for nine ninety nine. I don't think it's worth taking my shelf space. No. Unfortunately. Right. Um, You've got a cool one on here for uh, the Intellivision. Yeah, so the Intellivision, uh, Amico, they have hoodies and gear now if you go to their shop. And they're a little little pricey. Like, Well, they're a lot pricey. Um, like $35 for a t-shirt, um, oh, wow. which is yeah. way too much for me, but, uh, but it's cool to see the merchandise and I'd pick it up if it was a $20 t-shirt, but. Okay. Well, I'm really, you and I have both talked about how we're really into the Miko. Mm-hmm. Definitely. They've been having like regular updates and stuff. Mm-hmm. So here's a new segment I'm going to call a Miko watch. I'm using this sound again. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. It's recycling. Do you feel like you're about to get grilled again? Uh, I do. I was scared. You start a to sweat every time this comes on. Yeah. So there have been some updates over there at uh, the Amico Intellivision Amico headquarters. Yes. Uh, I watched a new video that Tommy Tallarico put up where he goes through uh, and shows the actual designers at work. Yeah. He's doing everything he can to prove that this is a thing. Yeah. And they had physical hardware in their hands. They were showing it. Um, they showed cool things like the buttons. They had two buttons on the each side on the front, but they got some feedback. Well, if you turn it sideways. 
It'd be better if those were apart so you can use them as shoulder buttons. Yeah. So they did that change. And then uh, they announced that the Amico is going to come with five packing games. Ooh. The first game, skiing. Uh, uh-oh. Oh, and no, I actually kind of think that's cool. All right. So I don't know about you. On the Atari, probably one of the games I played the most was skiing. Really? Yeah. You ski down a hill and you try to hit, you know. And all these games are just kind of updated, old, classic simple games, right? I mean, that's the yeah. idea, which like, I love. Like Horace Go Skiing on the ZX Spectrum, maybe you played that one. You're you just know, going I've tried, down- but, but there's more than just going downhill on that one. You have to, like, get to the store first, <laughs> like, across the street, and I can't even get to the freaking store. Gosh, Horace. Um, they went ahead and announced a few new games. Uh, not announced a few new games, I'm sorry, but they announced an app, uh, an AR augmented reality app, kind of. Uh, you can download the Amico app, which I did. And you can play a quick, like, 30-second chunk of the new Moon Patrol game, huh. the Milky Way Chronicles. What was it? Uh, it was Moon Patrol. Nice. I like So Moon if you Patrol. like Moon Patrol, you like this. I do and, like Moon Patrol. But with, like, more power-ups and mm-hmm. better graphics. But it's Moon Patrol. I'm excited to see what else they do with it. Okay. They also uh, showed a picture, uh, a picture, a YouTube video of a little bit of gameplay for the new Breakout. Ooh. Which looked originally, like, a lot like... The games are very... Reminiscent of the originals, yeah, like but modern, up, but updated. Yeah, um, I mean, it look, at first it looked like regular Breakout. Then I realized you could shoot things as well, which you could not do in Breakout. So it's like Arkanoid. So it's more like Arkanoid. But then they had really cool things, like if you uh, hit the ball while he was moving across, it put some English on the ball. Ooh. Um, and there was that's uh, kind of one of the things I wished Breakout always did was like if you swapped over there real fast. Yeah, it would. The physics of the ball would be a little different. Yep, that's what it does. And I also noticed every time you hit a brick, the whole all the bricks go down the screen a little bit, like Tetris. Ooh! So as you're knocking bricks away, if you br- don't break away the bottom ones, they're getting closer and closer to you. You got to kind of keep ahead of it. So yeah. it almost becomes a falling block puzzle breakout. Look pretty cool. All right. Um, he announced uh, a bunch of cool things. Over 75 unique and exclusive products from developers all over the world are currently in development. Uh, they announced the first 25 world-class developers working with them. I'll go over them real quick. Other yeah. Ocean, Digital Eclipse, that's a big one. Yeah. Concrete Games, Choice Provisions, Playcomy, uh, React Games, Stainless Games, Wasted Studios, Bonus Level Entertainment, Neobird. Uh, I don't know how to say that. Acer Interactive. Yeah. Therabytes, Way Digital Studios, another good one. BBG Entertainment, PHL Collective, Rogue Rocket Games, Pixel Pug. Quicksilver Software, Tozai Games, Humansoft Inc., Flashman Studios, Spaceflower UG, <gasps> Exozet Berlin GmbH, Independent Arts Software, and Pool Legends. There you go. That's uh, your Amico Watch update. Ah, uh, nice. I'm looking forward to it. I'm Cody Hoffman, signing out. <laughs> yeah, I'm keeping a very positive mind about uh, Amico. I think it's looking really good. I'm looking forward to just fix the good old family co-op playing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our free review copies. Me I too. I want free review copies. Yeah, I've asked. Tommy, if you're listening, we will <laughs> sell the crap out of this thing for you. I told him I would love to just buy, I'll even buy it if I could get a copy before it comes out so we no, can try it out. No, no, free one. <laughs> I, I'm going to buy it regardless, so I want the wood grain one. It looks sweet. Yes. Uh, oh, this one's me, but not for me. This one's for Tim. Yeah. For our boy Tim Drew, uh, he got excited about the Raspberry Pi game Code the Classics book. I saw that. So, um, 
Yeah, it's a book showing you. I think they had five games. Frogger. Um, trying to remember some of the other games where it basically shows you how to code them mm-hmm. in Python, which is the Raspberry Pi. Um, the the what do you call it? The programming tool that comes with Raspberry Pi, right? You can, yeah. It comes with the distribution for Raspberry Pi. It also comes with Scratch, which my daughter is actually learning at school. During her like after school and during track break, she takes a coding class. And she programs in Scratch, which is available on Raspberry Pi. They use Chromebooks with it, but um, and she's programmed games. That's she's, cool. ma- she's making a Pac-Man clone right now. Well, maybe she'll want this book. Maybe. So I guess it actually works with the original authors. Do you, do you see a lot about this? I didn't. I didn't. Okay. Well, they actually go into detail about how those games were coded, how you can do it, um, how to create all the assets and do a certain. I mean, and this is Volume One, so I think they're going to do other games moving forward. Yeah. But it just seems like a really cool. Uh, I'm not a coder. I, I would love to learn eventually how to code. Yeah. But um, I think the people who are starting to code or who have gotten a good ways into it um, will appreciate this, especially if you enjoy the Raspberry Pi. Yep. Super Mario Maker 2 had an update. Mm-hmm. Things you would uh, hope would already be in there, like being able to play online with friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, horizontal Joy-Con support, which almost every other switch game has already so you can take the joy cons off and turn them sideways and use them oh they didn't have that huh they had it apparently in some game modes but not all i don't know you have the game don't you i do have the game okay well one of the things that is cool uh, they added some characters they added spike and pokey from super mario brothers mm-hmm. but everyone's losing their uh, mind over the fact that you can now play as link so you can play a mario game you can design a mario game but with link in it wow but he actually has his move set and he does it's like changes the entire game he's Link now, not just a Mario with a different picture. Yeah. I, cool. I got a little disappointed in, in that game in that I would go online and I'd, I'd download levels that were labeled as easy. Oh, yeah. And they were not easy. And people, so That goes back to level design, man. People, yep. it's hard. It is hard. And you realize that people will just put a bunch of flying crap in, in a game just because it looks funny, but it's yeah. not a very good level. So... I, I just found some really poor levels. I, maybe I just found the wrong people. I need to... I probably should dig into it a little further, but I frankly just moved on to something else pretty quickly. There you go. Yeah. 8-Bit Doe is releasing a new accessory. Have you seen this thing? Which one? Are you ready for this? I am ready. Because I have that little brick thing that you see up there. I have that already. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> what is that exactly, Eric? That is a thing called an N30 wireless mouse. So is that for like a PC? It's I guess it's just a mouse. That it, is weird. It's weird. It is a mouse with two buttons and a joypad on the side. And uh, it, it's all like NES buttons, so two little round red dots. It looks like an NES controller, but it's a mouse. And then yeah, on the side you've got the directional pad, which I don't know how that works. Apparently right that little black area right in between the two buttons, there's a touch sensor so you can scroll with it still. But yeah, it's a it's I I think it's 30 or 40 bucks for a mouse that looks like a NES controller. And it works like a real mouse. It appears so. And apparently you're supposed to use it while drinking at a fancy uh, coffee shop that makes really good lattes. According to the According to the picture, picture. here. And working on your iMac or whatever this is. Yeah. All right. Well. And your fountain pen that costs $100. Cool. It yeah. is the most goofy looking thing. It, it looks does. so weird. It's like, look yeah. how refined and fancy we are. And then you see that mouse. And it doesn't look very ergonomic. 
So. It does not. <laughs> All right. Well, more power to them. Yep. I would rather exist than not exist. Cause right. That uh, helped us fill about two minutes. Um, next on the docket, M2 is now working on. I have this game running behind me here. Uh, the Toplin Collection. Oh, nice. So kind of like there was a Castlevania collection, and mm-hmm. there was a couple other Konami collections. Now, <clears throat> M2 is creating a Toplin Shoot'em Up collection. And Toplin is the guys who became Cave Yeah. after Toplin shut down. So uh, they did not confirm any games, but Toplin has been known for games like Tiger Heli, Zero Wing, uh, Truxton's a big Ooh. one, Slap Fight's a big one, Hellfire. I love Truxton. Games like that. Yeah. All right. And that is that going to be on Switch, do you know? I think it's all major platforms. All major platforms. I'm sure it will be. <clears throat> cool. It'd be cool to have Truxton on there. Uh, Truxton's one of my favorites. It's a good one. Absolutely. So I came across this uh, ZX Spectrum game competition, like the CPC one we discussed and the... We keep Comic finding competitions. Yeah. This one's called Yandex Retro. And Yandex. It, it is at uh, RGB.Yandex, which... It's actually s- pronounced Lofl. <laughs> I didn't you even got know, it wrong again, Eric. I didn't even know that was a proper URL. RGB.yandex. I don't know what Yandex means, but it is Games Battle 2019, Yandex. And I looked at the screenshots, and I, I think it was Juan who tweeted out a thing showing some of these games. They look amazing. Um, but when I went to them on my 48K, because that happens to be what I had plugged in at the time, yeah. not many worked on the 48K, so... So I, I looked at this, too, because it's in, I'm guessing it's Russian, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Because um, the, the Spectrum platform was big in Russia. It was, yep. Not actual cl- Spectrum. A lot of clones. It was all, yeah, clones. Yep. Well, see, that's funny, because clones in that case would be recreations or... That's right. Would be ports. Ports. <laughs> um, but yeah, because I, I can see nowhere on here, well, A, I see nowhere on here English. See, that drift game, drift game looks awesome. Yeah, it does. But I do also, I was looking for either the number 48 or 128, and I couldn't find it anywhere, so. No, and, and I did get one of these, one or two of these to play on my 48K, so they're not all 128K games, but I, most of them are. Like, yeah, I tried Drift. Drift game, the images, is looks way beyond a ZX Spectrum. It's like Specky Next level. Yep, and if you go all the way down. But it's not. So that Interceptor one looks like a cool shmup, Interceptor 2020. But it, if you. This next one, Just a Gal, would fit our uh, future Just- episodes, uh, <laughs> Guilty Pleasures. Because for some reason, it's a motorcycle racing game, but for no reason the at all. The splash screen. The splash screen is a chicken or underwear stretching, and the game is called Just a Gal. I have no idea how that coincides with motorcycle racing. I don't but know. There you go. So if you go all the way down, the, the, the one that I saw that I really wanted to play... Which is coming out for the MSX too, which we just oh, sent yeah, out a link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's towards the bottom. You can see there's a lot I here. See that one looks really cool. Valley of Rains. The yeah, the gra- splash screen and the gra- graphics on that one. Yep, is uh, that Yazzie? Yazzie. That looks awesome, but it is 128K only for here for the ZX Spectrum. But it's coming out on MSX. Yeah, I think it is. It already out. I think it's already out. I don't think so. I, if it is, I really need to grab it because this game looks really cool. Yeah, it's a cool little um, single screen. Type classic arcade mm-hmm. style thing. Yeah, it does look really cool. Cool. Yeah, um, once I get my my specy next, I want to dig into these, and then yep, you can just pull out your plus two or plus three. You got a plus. I got a plus two. Plus two. But it, you know, I'm lazy. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to plug it in. So. I don't blame you. 
Um, Rhett, this one's huge for me. Okay. I think this is cool, even though I made fun of it online. But <laughs> this is cool. So, as we've talked in the previous episodes, I got myself a Commodore Plus 4, which is apparently, after I bought it, I learned is known for, like, if you sneeze on it the wrong way, it breaks. And it has a chip called the TED chip, which yeah. is its main processor. Kind of does everything, music, sound, everything, mostly. And it um, fails all the time. Yeah. And there's no replacements. So the only thing you can do is buy like four of these things and hope one of them has a good chip. Yep. Well, uh, the guys at RetroHacks.net are creating the Fed, which is a TED chip replacement. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> I am very excited. And I, I, thought- I, I think I read about this literally like two years ago. Like they were starting to work on it. Oh, well, it's news to me now. Yeah, so I hope it comes out soon, but that would that that would give me more of an an incentive to actually go get one because I've always worried that I'm going to get one and the TED chip's going to be bad or it's going to go bad the first week I have it. I've seen a bunch of games lately come out that are mm-hmm. ported to like seven systems, including the Plus Floor Four, and I'm like, if I can play any machine, it's gonna I want to try to do the Plus Four because mm-hmm. when am I going to get to play a game on there? Yeah, you know. And some some people have cited that computer as their their one they grew up with their favorite machine. Like I know Dan it's Wood really, on it's really powerful. It actually is really capable. Yeah, the, it just uh, needs you software. know the Retro Hour UK is that a podcast you listen to? You probably listen to it. I've once been or twice. I've been meaning to listen to that because I've heard great things. But. Dan on there is that was his first computer. and He references it all the time. Yeah, he loves the games on it, and he. I, I'm sure that this is something he'd be interested well, in. I'm going to throw Tim, our buddy Tim Drew, under the bus because he told me, cool, your plus four is working because I thought it was. I thought I got it working. Yeah. He's like, now prepare for a whole bunch of mediocre games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, very excited about that. Cool. Um, this is a fun little story, and it's our last news item for this month. Um, a rare game for the NES escapes the grasp of a hoarder. That's <laughs> the way we put it. So there's a guy, um, he apparently owned an original copy of an NES game, I think the only one known in existence, called okay. Super Gun. Super, nah, I never heard of it. So apparently what happened, and uh, this was according to, I think, Frank Cifaldi, you know, the guy who kept catches all these games and, and yep. archives them, takes care of them. Go ahead and get some beers, I want, we need some beers. Okay, I'll grab um, Here, here's the opener and everything. All right. Give, give us beer. Um... So anyways, apparently some guy uh, won an auction for a 9-in-1 cart. Just kind of one of those random 9-in-1 carts, but it was graded. I guess it was made by Caltron. So there is a cart that came out in America from Caltron called a 6-in-1. Okay. It just had six kind of mediocre games on it. So this 9-in-1 cart came uh, graded and sealed. And so the guy won this cart and decided to open it and see what was actually on it. Because the ROM for it was not yet available anywhere on the internet. Mm-hmm. So he opened this thing up and uh, and took a look at the game, and Super Gun was on the 9-in-1. Wow. So, uh, of course, this guy, not being a hoarder, decided to re- release it. So now, if you want a very average and long shmup, then you can now get Super Gun on your NES. Hmm. So That's pretty neat. Interesting. I think you still only have it in the 9-in-1 form. It's not a standalone Super Gun game. See, my worst nightmare is I'm that guy that would find, like, a 9-in-1 cartridge and look at a couple games that were mediocre and go, this sucks, and throw it in my garage where it's going to sit for 40 years. You know what I mean? Don't be that guy. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy. It's funny, because I keep telling people, like, go through all your Commodore games, look on discs, see if you can find anything new. I have literally four discs, and I have not done that. Yeah. I'm a jerk. I'm (laughs) I'm a hypocrite, and I'm a jerk. So what's our last beer for the uh, day here, Eric? 
Um, the last beer is a from Einstock. Einst from Iceland. It's an wow. It's an Icelandic Arctic pale ale. Oh wait, yours is different than this one. Oh, let me grab. So I wanted to give you a choice, but do you want to do let's the? Let's do the pale ale. You brought yep. it up. Yep, let's do it. Icelandic Arctic pale ale. I wonder if the fact that it's quote unquote Arctic is actually part of the flavor or process, or they just say that because it's. You can take that one. Um, sure. I don't know. Oh, that's true. I can pour my own beer. But I brought another ice stock, which I don't know if we'll get to in this episode. But um, the other one's a toasted porter. Yes, ah. in the can. Take a little sniffy poo. That is some um, riveting radio right there. Mm. Well, we are a beer and video game podcast. I don't think we ever officially said that, but... All right. That works. I'm saying it. Cool. Well, cheers, my friend. Cheers to a good session of news. Yes. Uh, let's go ahead and take a sip of that, and we'll be right back with our thoughts. And we're back! <laughs> we took through a little the, break. From the magic of radio, we decided to drink beer off the air. Yep. Um, it's good. It the is beer's good. It is very good. So let me... I'll do the rating for this one. Vikings. So... Since it's, Iceland has a picture of a Viking on the can, yeah. Um, what? Let's rate this out of seventeen Vikings. Of seventeen Vikings. Well, this see this has a lot. The flavor lingers a lot longer than that porter we just had, which is weird because typically porters are yeah they stay with you yeah. But that one just went away, which you liked. You called it crisp. I called mm -hmm. it kind of boring. Okay. This has got a lot going on. Definitely, uh, even though it's lighter and it's honey in color. It's honey, kind of a darker, not translucent, though. Can't see through it. No, it's kind of a little hazy. Nice, thick head. Yep. Um, but this one uh, has more weight <laughs> to it. Yeah. But it's still refreshing. Mm -hmm. Little hoppy. It is a little hoppy. A little hoppy. Hmm. I'm tasting a little honey. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. little grain. Yes. I, li I like this one. So out of 17 Vikings helmets, helmets or Vikings? Just Vikings. Just the entire Just individuals. The, the entire dude. Entire dude. Are, uh, are Vikings, Vikings can be women too, yeah. right? I don't but, want to be sexist. Yeah, I want to give I them their fair shake. Vikings and, and, um, how about, it's 12, I'm going to say 12 and a half. I can't decide. Really? 12 and a half out okay. of 17. Twelve and a half out of seventeen. I think that might be a little low. Maybe that's what I was thinking. Twelve seemed low. Thirteen seemed high. Okay. You know what? And I mean, and I'm half. not. It's not. I'm gonna say thirteen. I'm gonna say thirteen. All right. Just a, just a, good. Just a nudge above yours. Just a nudge. I don't think I would particularly order it again, just because it's got a really cool can. I'll give it that. Yeah. And if something can taste cold, mm -hmm. oh, it tastes cold. It does taste cold. It's that's a good one. Yeah, so we want to get that rating in because now we're going straight to uh, Tim. To, yeah. And our retro Christmas. So take it away, Tim. Hey, guys. How about we take a little break and check with our friend over the pond? That's right. It's Tea Time with Tim. Welcome back, everyone, to Tea Time with Tim, the retro Christmas special. <laughs> it's Christmas. <laughs> Here's a TV advert from the UK in Christmas 1985 advertising the MSX computer from Toshiba. 
Hello, Dad, can I have a computer? What you need, son, is a up the hooter. Computer's gonna cost me a leg and an arm. Not the Toshiba pack. Stay calm. Cost me a bomb. Things you need later. They're all thrown in. Keep your shirt on, Peter. What happens next year when it's out of date? No chance, Dad. This is MSX, mate. If all that's true, I'm the Queen of Sheba. And say hello, Tosh, to a new Toshiba. For this episode, I would like us to travel back in time and run through some of the top Christmas games for 1985. Let's find out what the Christmas belters were back in the day. Let's go back to Christmas 1985. A young and impressionable Tim was just 12 years old. Yes, that's right, at one stage I was useful and full of the joys of life. Anyway... In 1985 was my second full year with the Commodore 64, and it was my last. In 1986, everything would change, and I would confront the 16-bit world headlong and leave the 8-bits in its wake. Even though the C64 and the Speccy were really only just getting into their stride, I was off. Just to give a bit of context, in 1986 I was an impressionable lad and working in a computer shop most evenings and weekends, and I was in the position where I had all the 16-bit and 8-bit micros at my disposable, and almost any game that was available to play on them at my fingertips. Back in 1985 it was a special year for me, as it was one of the very few years that I longed for games and had to get my fix through the pages of mags like Zap64 and Crash, visits to my buddies' houses to play other games, or, if I had saved up enough, to get a new game or acquired one by nefarious means. True to my situation at the time, the only thing I cared about was my C64. In fact, Christmas 1985, I may have even had my C128, or that may have been at the start of 1986, where they were coming down in price. 1985 was a year of some awesome games for the C64 and for the Spectrum. My friends still had a mix of micros, but most of them had C64s by now and moved on from the humble Specky. Here are a few titles that got a release in 1985 on the Commodore 64. Ball Blazer by Activision LucasArts, Battleaxe by Llamasoft, Cauldron by Palace Software, Commando by Elite Systems, Elite by Firebird, and one of my personal favourites, The Great American Cross Country Road Race, Hypersports by Imagine and Ocean, Spy v Spy 2 The Island Caper, and Zed or Z by Rhinosoft. I can remember playing all of them and lots more in 1985. There were so many great games released that year. We were spoilt for choice, just on the C64 alone. So let's run down the chart for December 1985, as compiled in Zap64 magazine. This was the magazine of the time for the C64. Readers would send in votes on postcard the previous month, and they would collate the results. It's not based solely on sales, but this is just a snapshot of what people were playing and brought at the time. Starting at number 20 is The Fourth Protocol by Hutchinson Software. Number 19 is Hacker by Activision. Number 18 is Impossible Mission by Epix. At 17, we have The Nodes of Yesod by Odin. 
Sliding in at number 16, we have Rescue on Fractalus by Activision. Sneaking in into 15th place, we have the sneaky Spy vs Spy 2, The Island Caper. At 14, it's the British boxing legend at the time, Barry McGuigand, with his self-titled boxing game by Activision. At number 13, we have Skyfox by Ariolasoft and EA. Racing in at number 12 is Hypersports by Imagine. This has a classic rendition of Chariots of Fire music by Martin Galway. Making an entrance at 11 is the amazing Thing on a Spring by Gremlin Graphics. Again, another game with a legendary soundtrack, this time by Rob Hubbard. And now, you guessed it, that's right, we're into the top 10. In at number 10 is Beachhead 2 by Access and US Gold. With the screeching of tyres coming in to a stop, at number 9 is Pit Stop 2 by Epix US Gold. At number 8 is The Little Computer People by Activision, another personal favourite of mine. At number 7, hi it's The Way of the Exploding Fist by Melbourne House. Into sixth spot is Frankie Goes to Hollywood by Ocean. At fifth place, a game that needs no introduction, but I did one anyway, it's Drop Zone by UK Gold. At four, chilling down the charts, is Winter Games by US Gold and Epics. And now for the top three games as voted by Zap64 readers in 1985, who bothered to spend a few pence on a stamp and throw in a postcard is at three the space trading classic elite by firebird at two just being pipped to the top spot eric's favorite all-time commodore 64 game paradroid by hewson and here we go at number one for christmas 1985 yeah summer games 2 by us gold So, there you have it. The Christmas number one game in 1985 is a summer game. Okay, so it has to be said, the whole game series by Epics were amazing games. However, in my humble opinion, I think Paradroid deserved the top spot. Here is what I would have put as the top five for 1985. Okay, so according to Tim, near Christmas 2019, a mere 34 years later, here's my top five. At five, we have Elite. At four is Drop Zone. At three is Thing on a Spring. At two, I'm not going to do it again, Way of the Exploding Fist. And at number one, it's Paradroid. If you have a top five you would like to share with us from the year 1985, please do let us know. You can send us a tweet to at Pixelgaden or email us on podcast at pixelgaden.com. And of course, you can tweet me at Sanxian on Twitter. The games I have the most memory of playing during Christmas 1985 is Commando, a conversion from the arcade programmed by Chris Butler and with a thumping tune by Rob Hubbard. It was an okay conversion with nice graphics. Zap64 reviewed it in issue 2 1986, funnily enough. 
I think the conversion missed the top marks because it only had three of the eight levels from the arcade. However, I enjoyed it and would sit back and turn up the volume to play the title music and the high score music. The other cool thing about Where the Exploding Fist was the fright you could give your mates when loading up the game from tape. As it loaded and the loading screen came up, it would play a sound sample. If you managed to distract your mate and turned it up to full volume and they didn't know about this, it was extremely good for getting them to jump out of their skin at the time. Honourable mentions, of course, to Paradroid. While I loved the game, I found it a little hard for my 12-year-old brain to compute and found myself straying to other titles. One I can think of is Hypersports. I got a real dab hand at that game. And if you have played it before yourself, you will know that I think it's the second event in it is skeet shooting. The aim of it is to shoot all the skeets as they fly from left to right. Wait till your sights are full of the skeet for a maximum points. And if you shoot them all in the right order, your reward is extra targets at the end to ramp up the points. I think they were ducks. Another great event in this game is archery. To get this one right, you have to make sure you get the wind speed just right at the start. Then, matching the angle and the speed of the arrow leaving the bow at the right time. A perfect shot is rewarded with a nice little jingle and the phrase, nice, and 600 lovely points. Anyway, that's the top 20 games of 1985 for the Commodore 64, as voted by the Zap 64 readers. Hope you enjoyed the little trip back to 1985. And if you have been, thanks for listening. So this is the December episode of the Patreon supporter discussion. And this month I have a treat. I have the, before we even had Patreon, this guy sent us some beer in support of the show. And it was amazing. We'll talk more about it on the air. But I wanted to introduce Dan James. You go by Dan, right? Not Daniel? Yeah, Daniel's like, looks better on a business card, but I pretty much go by Dan. (laughs) Okay, so Dan James, uh, we met on Twitter, um, and we have communicated for for at least a couple, two or three years at at least, right? Yeah, I think so. Pretty much crossover on all of the the projects you're working on, or Amiga or 64 stuff, yeah. Definitely some same background. Excellent. And it wouldn't be right if we recorded this discussion without drinking beer. So I will let you go first. I know you have one at the ready. What what are you drinking tonight? This is this is uh, what they called a Graham Turismo. That's uh, one of the limited beers that also from Eight Bit, same brewery that uh, brewed that Black Mage that I sent you guys. So, it's, which was uh, excellent, by the way. Yeah. So it's that's still a favorite. But uh, they have a nice mix of stuff. Ryan's a, the head brewer there is a kind of a nerd, and obviously Eight Bit Ale works. So I will uh, crack this one open. Okay. And while you do that, I will explain the beer I have, which I think we've had on the show before, but it was the best one I had in my fridge. It is a Martin Amber Lager from Sudwork Brewing here locally. There's a little college town called Davis, California, and 
Sudwork has been there. It was a little restaurant brewery that's been there forever. I mean, even since back, I think, in the 80s and 90s. Uh, and they have some very good beer. So I'm going to open this one right now. Maybe. There we go. Oh, it's and a bottle. This uh, this one is a bottle, yeah. What are your What's your opinion on that? I I think it just depends on the brewery. I I mean, it, I can see why a lot of microbrews do cans just from a cost standpoint. Yeah. Um. So I I think as long as it's fresh, I I haven't really noticed that much of a difference, honestly. Seems like a lot of people are turned off by cans. A lot of the, the kind of beer snobs that I know. Um. I love cans. They're more convenient. I think that the lack of light coming through the glass actually lets the beer last longer. Um, I, I think I've read that somewhere. Yeah. That's um, one, I know that's one of the things Ryan mentioned, especially with IPAs, beers that have a lot of sugars in them. They yeah. tend to, they tend to uh, go bad faster because of that. And that was actually one of the reasons why I sent the black mage. Cause he said <laughs> that one that will handle travel better you yeah. know, with changes in temperature. Uh, and I, I haven't had one that tastes bad out of a can versus a bottle. Um, I think the biggest differences are obviously when you get something from tap versus take home. Yeah. I've, I've tasted wide variety from that. Yeah, I definitely am a draft guy whenever possible. If it's, if I have an option of two, I like, I'll, I'll usually go with the draft. Yeah. One of my favorite, uh, very light beers is Trumer pills. Have you had that? No. So it's, uh, it, it actually is brewed in Germany and then also of all places, Berkeley. And, uh, it tastes so different from if you ever if you ever see Trumer Pills, uh, Great Pilsner on tap. It's really really good. It's good in the bottle, but it is way different. So nice. So here we are, and it's not a beer podcast solely. It is a game <laughs> and beer, which I haven't had a sip yet. So I'm going to take one real quick. Mm, it's one of my favorites. Um, so we are going to talk about your history in gaming and. We'll go back and forth on that for a bit. And then at the end, I, I'm going to give you some quick questions, just Sounds like we good. have on the show. Two of them from our past episodes. Um, I do feel weird. Did you hear the um, discussion I had with Henrik? I did, yeah. I, and, made a uh, big, I made a big mistake with him, which I didn't actually tell him yet, was we did the quick questions, but I, didn't, I wasn't prepared. I didn't go back and look at them. And so I'm sitting there at the end of the interview going, I can't remember a single quick question over the last 13 months. Uh Oh, like my memory was just like, I had this hard block. So finally, I, I mean, I, I kind of, um, hemmed and hawed for a while, but I was able to make that work. So <laughs> I, I figured, good. I figured some out eventually, but I, I came better prepared this time. I enjoyed your conversation with him. It was good. I, I thought it was great. I, I oh, it's very interesting hearing the perspective of people from other places other than the United States because the computer um, landscape and video game landscape is so different in those places. Yeah, when I first started listening to podcasts, most of the ones that I found were were UK or Europe. So you know, the Retro Hour was the one yeah. that I started listening to the most, and those guys certainly fell into my wheelhouse as far as their likes and history and then i discovered the amigos because i was like wow i need an amigo pod amiga podcast and discovered those guys and uh yeah so it's it's nice to have the uh, kind of mix of what they grew up with what we grew up with and those two that you mentioned i don't i don't miss a single episode i think i've heard every single one i those are my favorites and all, and all the podcasts that those amigos are doing these days 
with Sinclair and Coco and um, all those. I, I, li- I listen to them every week. Yeah, I don't know um, how they do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how they do it either because they're they're both in relationships um, and. I, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they can carve out that time. Yeah. Uh, and even between Cody and I, it's like I, I always am amazed how he can beat so many games every month and play as much as he does. Because he he's got kids and a wife and everything, and he I know for a fact he doesn't he you know he doesn't neglect them. Right. Um, but I think he's true because he just answered this on Twitter. I think he just doesn't sleep. Yeah, I, I listen to the stuff you guys play in between shows, and I'm like, I I don't know how you do it, because I, I mean, I work a lot, but I try to give myself some time, but I have an old car I work on along with the computer toys, and there's no way I could I could spend that much time gaming as much as you guys do. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is I'm not a great gamer, as I've said multiple times on the show, um, but I love them. I love the history of games, and I love seeing what's out there but i do get kind of bored pretty fast like i'll play a game for a couple hours and that's enough for me usually i agree i it's one of the the bad things about us having such a variety now like uh i built my first main cabinet probably 10 years ago you load 5,000 roms and then you're like okay i'm gonna play galaga and now what do i play next (laughs) yeah you've got a thousand to choose from and then after 30 seconds you're like okay this is too hard or i can't figure it out so i go play something else yeah. So let me go. Let, let's take you back. Um, and I'm not stealing this from the retro hour, but I do find it one of the most interesting things on the retro hour when they begin the interviews. What um, what was the first video game you ever saw? Do you remember it? Um, I, I remember our family. We had one of like one of the first Pong, you know, before the arcade Pong uh, was at home. But uh, they had like the were just the single consoles where you just plugged it in. And all you had was paddles built into the console and i remember it was wood grain and you just uh you could do two player and it was just simple like two or three games of basically electronic tennis is probably what they called it and uh, that was before the atari 2600 so that was for sure our first one is like the family little console and i and i i'm fascinated by those um and i i haven't even talked about it much on the show but do you remember if it was an Atari brand or was it a different? It wasn't brand? an Atari. I'm thinking it was like a Sears brand that was yes. Because yes. I remember it being like, like I, the name that always comes up to my name is like some Galaxy Tennis or something like that. And like I remember a, like a gold script with a wood grain background. It seemed like everything in the '70s had wood grain on it. Those yeah, fake and consoles. Were, and there were a ton of those Pong clones, but they would always have multiple different versions of Pong. Exactly. Um, and, remember, there was and a I switch you would flip and it would put two paddles on the screen. It really didn't change the game at all. Yep. And we wore ours out. We got ours in the late 70s, and it was a Coleco Telstar uh, Ranger. It had a, like a light gun on it as well, but it was just basically Pong, and it it we wore that thing out. I mean, it, we, we played that so much in our house. Yeah, my sister actually still has our Atari 2600. And, oh, uh, wow. And uh, she's talked about getting it alive, but she's not a gamer at all. And I, I tr- had the short conversation of, well, how are you going to hook it up to a television? And that's the yeah. whole that's the whole conversation that we talk about all the time as as retro guys. It's like, yeah, getting old stuff to work with new stuff. That's the some of the biggest challenges out there. Do you think she'd play it if if you could? I'm going to try to when I'm home for Christmas. Yeah. Oh, good, good. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I actually modded mine so that it would play in composite. Um, so, and that's a good, good mod. It actually looks really good. And it's not very hard to do. Um, so did you, 
So after you had the Pong, what console did you have? A cartridge-based console? Was it the twenty six hundred? Twenty six hundred was the one we had. I I was lucky enough that uh, when we were when I was about four or five, we moved in next to some, next to some neighbors, and there were three brothers that were all older than I were, so they got stuff before I did, just from age, and they had an Intellivision. That works out well. <laughs> yeah, so they had a television, and yeah, you know, they uh, had hand-me-downs through the brothers too. So the youngest of the three brothers got the stuff from his older brother. So I remember playing uh, electronic football and and that stuff with them really early on in the seventies, um, late seventies, early eighties. But in television is the first real console after the twenty six hundred that I remember. Do you remember what favorites you had on the twenty six hundred? Oh boy. I remember, as sad as it is, I remember some of the disappointments more than I remember the good ones. Um, yeah. How bad Pac-Man was. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, yeah uh, Pac-Man was horrible. Superman was horrible. I remember waiting for that one, and I just remember it was like a little flying red cape. Yeah. That was not good. I, I love Indiana. Com- there was an Indiana Jones that was great. Yeah. That was like kind of like Pitfall, right? Yeah, uh, but Pitfall for sure was, was a big one, yeah. Played at yeah. that a ton. I played a lot of combat because the, the one friend I knew that had 2600, that was one of the only cartridges he had, and we loved combat. And that was awesome. a fun two-player game. Yeah, yep. definitely remember that. Played a lot of combat for sure. Asteroids played a ton of that. Now, in television is one of the gaps in my collection, which it's getting harder to find consoles I don't have. <laughs> uh, but in television is the one I haven't really found because they're usually in poor condition when I find them. Um, do you remember what your favorites were on that? You know, I, I don't that, that much. And, uh, I, when I was in Colorado this last summer, my, my buddy Jim up there actually had picked one up. And, uh, so we kind of revisited some old old titles and I think it was, uh, the B-17 bomber uh, was an excellent one. And we had found the, the vocal synthesizer module in a game store when we were up there and we plugged it in. And and so I think I posted that on Twitter, a little video of it playing the, uh, the, the bomber intro through that little vocal box. Very cool. Yes. And that was, that's the one game I, I probably couldn't name more than three games on the Intellivision, but I do remember the B-17 bomber because of the voice synthesis and me and my best friend back in the day, we wanted that console so badly and with the voice module so that we could play that and we never got it, but that I know that's a big one. Uh, baseball uh, probably was the most, yep. we were a sports game, sports junkie. So sports games for sure probably were the dominant. And I definitely remember playing baseball and we played it in July and it was amazing how intuitive, no instructions, just pick up the controller. And those controllers were great moving guys around where you just moved the disc and yeah. slid the guy around. And it was very simple to remember how to throw to a base. And uh, we had a blast playing on that. It was pretty, pretty and it's fun. funny that the that those controllers were actually pretty decent. While the Atari fifty two hundred, which was the only console we had as a kid, those controllers were had a numpad like the Intellivision, but they were horrible. Right, and same with the ColecoVision that came later. Those controllers were yeah. terrible, and they yeah. were supposed to be kind of a newer version of those. But it yeah. had Donkey Kong. So what else did you need? That's right. So do you have do you have memories of uh, arcade? Oh like yeah, playing games in the arcade. Yeah, we had some great arcades growing up. Um, we were just talking about, you know, simpler times and being able to hop on your bicycle and ride to the mall. And we had Aladdin's Castle was the local arcade at the mall. Yeah. And uh, do, you, do you remember, um, do you, I mean, I, I'm sorry, let me step back. Where where did you grow up? Uh, Vancouver, Washington area. So Portland, Oregon area, Northwest. Oh, wow. 
I've got a ton of a family up there. So yeah, it's uh, it was so Vancouver was you know basically kind of like being a suburb of Portland. It was just the other side of the I five bridge, other side of the Columbia River. So you're close to the big city, but um, but definitely smaller small town feel for sure. Growing up there. So you got to ride your bike to multiple arcades. Did you get a chance to listen to my segment on uh, arcade memories? Yeah, it's great. So definitely lots of Good. those shared memories. So it sounds like we have some overlap because there was an Aladdin's castle here that I would take the bus to. So do you remember the your favorite arcade games? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we and buddies would ride over there, especially during the summer. Two or three of us would ride over for the day. And and uh, track and field, for sure, was a big one. Um, but Galaga, for the early stuff, was the big one. Why I built my main cabinet was basically to be able to replicate that upright experience was playing Galaga. I love that game. Still yeah, do. I love it. I love it too, I, I, and I play it every time I, every chance I get, I play it. Just having the sounds on in the background, it's just got those iconic sounds. I know you guys use, a, I think, a couple of the sounds in in your podcast. I think uh, over time, and yeah, it's just one of those, no question, just has a great place in time and memory. And track and field's a good one too. That's a uh, one that will break your joystick if you have it on a home computer version. Oh, the waggle, yeah, the, the waggle joystick <laughs> killer. Yeah, no question. Ah, the Smartson's going down well. How is the how is your beer going? It's very good. It's got a little cinnamon flavor to it, which normally I don't really like a lot, but it's it's actually pretty subtle. That's good. Um, so you mentioned those arcade games, Galaga, Track and Field, some of the classics like Space Invaders. Um, when was the first home computer you got? Did you ever have a home computer? Yeah, when I was probably, I think it was seventh grade, the, my elementary school got, uh, got Commodore Pets. And so really? that, that began my Commodore history, really. Um, so yeah, I was that was like 1980, 1981. Yeah. Uh, we got two Commodore Pets. And uh, myself and uh, my mom used to pick me up late after school a couple a couple days each week. So those were days I could kind of stay late at the school. And my the principal and I would sit there and, and mess around. He was kind of learning at the same time I was, so we started programming the games out of magazines, you know, compute, compute gazette that were out at the time. And, yes. Uh, the high tech racing game where the cursor stayed in the middle, but the road moved. So you, you know, you <laughs> yeah. moved the road around and that was, you know, don't hit the edge of the road type of a thing using the arrow keys. And uh, so, I mean, that was probably the first game I played on a computer. It would have been something like that. Yeah. And, and then, I, uh, I didn't see my first Commodore pet until a local guy here actually got a big batch of them in the bay area and i i refurbished one cleaned it up and and have a pet but that was that's the first time i ever saw a pet those are pretty cool machines they are i mean we had the the dual floppy drives because you could share them those were you know ieee 488 interfaces so they were those pretty snazzy pretty you know pretty fancy interface for the time i guess since they're considered business machines where you could share those disk drives between multiple computers so both both of them could share the same floppy drive and uh but uh, yeah, those were those were pretty cool. Um, first thing I learned to program basic on, and that got me to the VIC twenty. Um, I had a couple of friends Vic, that had VIC twenty was at home? paper routes. Yeah, the yeah. VIC twenty was the first home computer. Okay, um, for you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Bought it, bought on Kmart when if the kids remember layaway, you could you could go purchase something but not have it. Definitely. And go make payments on it at Kmart. I had a couple friends that had paper routes, and I would steal a, a route or two a month from them, and would get their route money for you know making the deliveries and and uh, uh, whatever my allowance was for mowing the yard or whatever, and that that paid for my first Vic twenty. 
I just had this discussion with my wife a couple of months ago. Layaway is one of those things that it makes no sense to me, but everybody did it back in the eighties. Yeah. Like yeah. you could is just it... keep that money and save it and, and do something, earn interest or just save it for whatever. But you, instead you give it to somebody to hold something for you. It, exactly. Like in today's day, it makes no sense, but I, I did it. I know I, I remember doing it. Yeah, I mean you not. I mean it wasn't like a loan because at least in the loan you get it up front. Yeah, that's <laughs> you, right. Not only do you get to make payments, but you don't get to have the product until it's paid for. That's right. And I, I think I I lay I did a layaway on my first uh, floppy drive, my fifteen forty one for my Commodore sixty four. Yeah, they cost and more it, than the computer did. Yeah, exactly. And it made no sense. Like today, like why would you do that when you don't even get to take it home? But yeah. It, it yeah. kind of forced you to save money for a particular thing, I guess. Right. And I still have that VIC-20 case. I actually don't know where the motherboard is. I, I actually have a working 64 motherboard in my original VIC-20 case because at some point along the line, the keyboard died in one of my 64s. So I'm like, well, I have my old VIC, and it's the same case, essentially. So I hacked it up enough to fit a 64 board in it, and it's it's a it's a white VIC-20 case with a Commodore 64 board inside. <laughs> That's actually pretty cool because my Franken, I know the, I know the ports, Commodore. Yeah, the ports in the back don't match up, but I suppose right. you just hacked them away. <laughs> yeah, they just had kind of little feet that kind of hung down in between, you know, wherever the, the ports went, and it was close enough to make the user port fit and the cartridge port exactly. And That's I still hilarious. have my data set. I still have the original white data set that I had with my Vic that I used with my 64 early on. Oh, that's pretty awesome. So, do you remember? Do you remember any of the great Vic games that you that, that you played or had any? Um, you know, I I didn't buy a whole lot because I didn't have it. I don't think that long before I got my 64. I got the Vic, I think, pretty late in its life. Yeah. And by that time, 82, 83, the 64 came out in 83, I think. Yeah. And uh, my neighbors had 64, so I think the Vic got set aside pretty quickly. But I do remember hooking it up to the TV and giving my mom instructions don't turn it off i spent right. all night i spent all night programming this game and i, I was before i had the data set i had yep. no way to save it so don't turn the computer off that's funny and, i had the uh, same exact memories like we'd keep my vic on all weekend just to yep. keep the program alive or you'd program the put the put it into the assembler and then you get an error at the end and you had to wait till the next issue of gazette to come out where they would publish the fix Sorry, yeah. we made an error on line 127. That should have been a 08 instead of a 09. It's funny you have memories of Computes Gazette because that was the only magazine, that and Run were the only two magazines that I would beg my parents to go to the wherever. I think it was the, I think they actually had them in our supermarket and I'd pick them up on the, I never had a subscription, but I'd always pick them up on the newsstand or at the magazine rack and every month. Like I loved those magazines. Yeah, that's what we did. We had uh, high school pharmacy was like, you know, the Walgreens or CVS of the yeah. area back then. And yeah, they had a magazine rack and that's that's where I would get them as well. Um, so you so you eventually got a Commodore 64. Do you uh, have any highlights of games on that machine? Oh, yeah, there are tons. Um Raid over Moscow, all the beachhead games, yes. one and two are both great. Yep. Um, Raid on Bungling Bay, still still enjoy playing that game. All the Archon games, pretty much anything Electronic Arts put out in that era was amazing. Yep, Raid um, on Bungling Bay is in my top three games of all time. Um, Paradroid, Raid, Raid on Bungling Bay, and my third yeah. one always changes over time. Yeah, I mean, Choplifter, some of the early ones that were later ports from the Atari stuff that were pretty good on the 64, that were bad on the 2600. Yeah. Um, and even all the Infocom stuff, I got into all of the Zork series 
um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, because I always loved goofy reading like that, Monty Python, and that that British humor kind of that Hitchhikers fell into. Yeah. Um, then uh, for sure, all of those, those were most of the Infocom stuff I thought was great. Did you pirate much back then? Oh, boy, that's a, is that a legal conversation to have? Does that, has <laughs> that run out by now? I think the statute's run out by now. Yeah, I think that's a, I think it's expired. I'll, I'll admit first, I was a huge pirate back in the day. We, we were, we were so fortunate. We had a store called Computer Mart and they were out in Battleground, Washington, which was probably about a 30 minute, 20 minute drive from Vancouver. And they were one of the first places that rented games. And this is like 83, 84, 85. Wow. Um, and so you could go out to Jim's store and rent a game for like four bucks. And he would give you a little manila envelope with the original discs, the original manuals, and you would take it back for two or three days, maybe copy it for archival purposes only. Sure. And, uh, you know, and then return it three days later and get something else. So I still have some original, some of my receipts. And amazingly enough, Jim, the guy that owns Computer Mart, is still open in Vancouver in 2019. He moved, yeah, he moved into Vancouver uh, um, probably right about the time I moved down to Arizona to go to college, so late 80s. And he's still open. He, you know, morphed his business into supporting PCs and building PCs, but he's still there. He's he's a one man shop. Um, but he, I had a conversation with him the last time I was home and just kind of shared with him how cool uh, memories I had of going out to his store. So that was called Computer Mart. Yep, and he's still there. Has a Facebook page that's not updated very well, but yeah, uh, he's yeah. And Jim's just a cool guy. He was he started out selling TI 99s door to door in 1980 and 81. He's a sales guy at heart from day one. And when the Commodore stuff started to take off, he opened that store selling Commodore peripherals and software, and and uh, has been in that business ever since. I, you know what? When I'm up there next visiting family, which probably will be in at least the next couple of years, I'm going to try to seek him out. That's just Vancouver, Washington, right? Yeah, he's yeah he's on Andreessen, which is like one of the main drag roads going through Vancouver. Um, he just moved into a little bit smaller suite. I saw him post. So um, when I talked to him last year, he said, you know, as long as he can maintain his lease and pay his rent, he's going to do it as long as he can. He's got to be in his 70s. Yeah. So what does he do now? I mean, just fix computers, like break break and fix computers and stuff? Yeah. He still has enough business customers, it sounds like, that you know that come to him for repair and fix and, and the occasional build. But, you know, he said it's gotten tough because computers yeah. have become disposable. You know, yes. people buy a tablet, and when it stops working, they throw it away and buy another one. Nobody fixes anything anymore. No, I, I – I'm I'm an IT guy and I do consulting and it makes if someone pays me more than two hours of work on a computer, it's cheaper for them to just go buy another computer. Exactly. Yeah. And, so, I, and I'm sure that's hurt his business a lot, but understandable. Well, I'm going to try to check that guy out. That would be interesting because I, I do go up there and I've stopped off at some gaming stores, but I never thought to stop off any computer stores because yeah. he, most... he still has one of his TIs in the glass cabinet and, uh, I, th he, I think he said it was one he sold to somebody, and when they went to get rid of it, they offered it back to him. So he has it sitting in a, in the original box in his cabinet in the front of the store. That's amazing. That, yeah. I, I, I've talked to Cody before how I lament like every every store I go into in Sacramento area here, they never have old computer stuff. They just don't yeah. have anything. They have old games now, like Net, like NES and. You know, stuff like that, because that's what's popular now. Sure. But like, it, uh, I, I remember listening to the Amigos, like they go into a store and there'll be some Amiga games on the shelf. 
And it's like, that doesn't happen around here. There's, there's never, I never see a single thing like that around here. Yeah. I was amazed when, when we were in, when I was in Colorado, uh, Jim knew at two stores and we, the place that we found the, the Intellivision voice, voice box had some Commodore 64 stuff on the shelf, which I had not seen in a long time. The big electronic arts, you know, fold out boxes and that kind of stuff, which was yeah. pretty cool to see. Yeah. Those, and those are cool. I, I have a small collection of those, which I'm actually uh, sending over to Tim in the UK because he loves those things. And they were just sitting here in my garage. So I'm sending him a ton of those like record player EA games. You know, the, oh, yeah. the, they're almost like in the vinyl kind of they're containers. Beautiful. The artwork yeah. was amazing. Yeah, they were. It was very cool. I mean, it's one of the things I've always loved about music and that I you know kind of lament about digital today is I used to go into Tower Records and buy stuff just based on the album artwork. You know, Same somebody here. had somebody I hadn't heard of. I'm like, ah, that's a rock album, and that's kind of a cool looking album. Yep. And so you'd buy it based on that, and yeah, that that's kind of lost, unfortunately. Yeah, it's nice that vinyl's making a comeback. I, w- I was listening on the radio of when I when I I commute a lot, so like I was listening to radio saying that this is the first year that vinyl sales have outsold CDs. Yeah, it's crazy. Which uh, I know everyone does digital download, but just that di- that vinyl is is back bigger. It's the biggest format now versus it. Bi- it's the biggest physical format now. Yeah. That I, blows I, my I, mind. I listened to a podcast uh, called 20,000 Hertz, 20 kilohertz. Okay. It's really great. And they're short, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and they do stuff on various things on sound related. Um, They'll do a thing. The last one they did was on digital mastering and how mastering and mixing and recording has changed in the last 20 years, switching from analog to digital, just how it had to change. But one of the things they mentioned in that, that uh, I think it was in 2017, 87% of all music sales were non-physical sales. Yep. That was 2017, so that's two-year-old data. Yep. And so I'm sure that's got a lot to do with it. The vinyl numbers are up, but I think it's also because everything else is just unbelievably down. Yeah, my son is big into the modern music of the day, which I'm out of touch with. But he, he he's never bought a physical – he's never purchased a piece of physical music, which blows my mind. That's crazy. He and he's purchased music, which I I I do support. I mean, I'm not into piracy on everything. <laughs> yeah. But he does buy stuff. He'll get iTunes gift cards, and then he'll spend them on you know things for his phone. And he listens mainly through his phone. But he's never known physical music other yeah. than vinyl because I still buy new vinyl. Yeah, um, I mean, I when I buy on Amazon, I try to buy most artists at least. For a while, they do those auto-rip versions where you can buy the CD, but you get the MP3 download immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'll buy those, and I'll download the MP3, and I'll dump it to my music share where it automatically uploads to my sharing source. And then, uh, you know, I get the CD in the mail three days later, and it goes on my CD rack, and I don't even <laughs> have to rip the disc. But I'll open it up, and I'll read the liner notes and because I like reading that kind of stuff. Me too. When I'm yeah. listening to something for the first time. So, yeah, definitely it's still old school on that. So let me ask you this. This is the last gaming question I'll ask other than quick questions. What Are you into modern gaming at all? Do you have a modern console? Uh, I have a PlayStation 3, but I haven't bought a PS4. Um, I pretty much switched to PC gaming once Once I went from the 64. I mean, I'm sure I'm in the in the small margin of, of people at game that have never owned a Nintendo product, never owned a single <laughs> Nintendo product, because I went from the Commodore 64 to the Amiga, and when I went from the Amiga, once it out kind of, you know, once Commodore killed it the way they did, is uh, 
Um, I went to PC gaming from there, so I didn't really need to, I didn't really go to consoles. I was into sports games and racing games. So yeah. um, most of that stuff was available on a PC at that time. So I just pretty much skipped most of that. You know, what Amiga did you have? Era. I still have my Amiga 1000 that I bought in 89. Really? Yeah. Love that it. is that is awesome from 89 that was the year i graduated from high school they were and all they were my just friends... starting to take those in on trade-ins you know the 2000s were out the 500s were out so you could buy the you could buy a 1000 that was a trade-in basically reasonably yep. inexpensive and they were about 300 bucks i think back then two of my best friends had amigas they one of them had i think it was an amiga 2000 and one had an amiga 1200 and I had the biggest Amiga Envy in the world, but I didn't have the money to buy a new machine. I rocked my 64 until 1994. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I was big into the BBS scene, you know, kind of to jump back to the 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 piracy world a little bit. It, yeah. That's probably where some of my ruining the gaming came from, because when you're running a BBS and you tend to collect more than you play, yeah, and that's that's kind of what happens. And so I was a co-sysop on a bulletin board system here in town. Most of the guys I met um, when I moved down here to go to college in Arizona, um, I bet through bulletin board systems. We started calling local boards. My roommate and I, and, and so that's kind of how we got into the local computer guy scene and a computer nerd scene. And uh, so Color sixty four was kind of the software that of choice on the Commodore boards. And so yeah, you started running into guys, you know, with. 20 meg hard drives on a Commodore 64 and running, you know, multiple 2400 bot lines, which was just amazing back in 8990. And, uh, but yeah, you were the whole, if you, anybody that called pirate boards, you know, the whole zero to one day old wares was the big deal. And That's if right. you had one to two day old stuff, it was like old. And so, yeah, you spent more time collecting and organizing than you did playing, unfortunately. And, uh, so that probably limited my playtime back then as well. But, uh, yeah. yeah, my buddy Jim and I had a man. We had we had a lot of fun, and through that group, I mean, I still have four or five friends that I'm friends with today because of I met them through the Bolton Board Systems back back in the late '80s, early '90s. That's and, awesome. Uh, so you know, 25 years later, we're in fantasy football leagues together, and yeah, and uh, still do still nerd out together. Speaking of uh, statute of limitations, did you ever use like a? MCI codes are freaking to call long distance BBSs. <laughs> I have no idea of what you're speaking, Eric. <laughs> this this is foreign conversation to me. I I do actually. I was I I knew of them, but I was over eighteen, and honestly, by that time, I was like, you know, that stuff's just not worth it. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I, I yeah. I tapered and, uh, back. I tapered way back after I graduated from high school, but before then, I. I got. I, I got to tell you. I think I'm the sole reason MCI went out of business. <laughs> I, I knew f we had two good scares where I knew a guy that got the knock on the door at six o'clock in the morning, and he was married and had a couple kids. And yeah. He got the FBI knock on the door, and got the open the door in thirty seconds, or we're going to knock the door down. And it was because of that because it was MCI and Sprint card use. Yeah, not good. Yeah, I, I think I, uh, I I don't think I've ever said this on the air um, on any of our shows, but there was a scare that I had where I, I don't even know if it was real, but I left to go to school and I saw these guys up on the telephone pole and I thought, OK, whatever, they're just doing work. And then but there was a there was two guys in suits at the bottom of the pole looking up at them. Oh, wow. And I, and I freaked out. I went in. I, I went back in the house. I, I decided I wasn't going to school 
and I took every sheet of paper that I had with BBS numbers and passwords, and I you did your war in, games shredding. Yep. I went. I put them in the garbage disposal. I swear, I, I shoved everything in the garbage disposal, <laughs> and then I think I jumped on my bike and ro- rode to my friend's house and after school, and I was freaked out. And then nothing ever happened from it, but. That was my big scare. <laughs> there were a few of those scares that went around, yeah. And uh, I never, I never heard of anything other than the one. But I know the guy, um, and I'll use his handle. His handle was Rom Chip back in the day. Not exactly, probably a unique name in the BBS right. world, but <laughs> that was his name in the Phoenix area. And uh, yeah, that, that I think that probably scared enough people. And that's honestly just like piracy. If you remember the SPA stuff and the, the ads that they started running, they were just trying to scare people into not doing it anymore. They were never going to stop it. No, but, but if they could, if they could do exactly that, have one large scale bust enough to scare and scare enough kids that I'm sure that that had some impact. I, I listened to the stories about them killing the Amiga and the Commodore because of piracy. And and while I understand there's certainly some lost, lost re- revenue, but it always kind of makes me chuckle that, like, those guys were going to buy those 30 pieces of software or 1,000, you know, games. They were never going to buy those video games. No, and if they're anything so. like me, I just curated <laughs> games. I played them for, like, maybe 10 minutes, and most of the time without a manual, I couldn't figure them out. And they just went on disc and became, like, trading fodder for more games in the future. Yeah. I mean, before I moved to Arizona, I do remember going to, um, I think it was a Publix work building in Vancouver and somebody would rent that community center out and what you would have set up of tables and chairs and guys would bring the rich guys would bring their Commodore SX 64s with their drives. And the other guys would, you know, bring carry N 64s with monitors and you just brought blank discs and stuff to trade. And you just walked around and found people to trade with. And you just copied games there in the basement of the power building yeah. i think is what it was in downtown it was either the basement of the power building or like the library and yeah. it was just it was open public it was not like you know people were doing it in you know some hidden basement somewhere any big games on so you say you're a pc gamer mainly is are there any big games you're playing or have really enjoyed in the last couple of years uh i mean I, not a lot nothing new i did get into the last ultima game because the ultima games i didn't mention that earlier were probably mm-hmm. high on my addiction list Ultima yeah. three, Ultima four, um, definitely lost some SAT score points by staying up too late the night before my SATs playing Ultima three. Yeah, you heard uh, my segment where I literally almost I failed. Did. I failed my sophomore year because yeah, Ultima so four. Yeah, I had a good chuckle over that one because my friend Tony and I <laughs> certainly had the same experience staying up too late for that one. Yeah. Um, and so when uh, what is it, the uh, Shroud of the Avatar came out was interesting enough for me to. I did grab a copy of that I think at Christmas last year. And it, it's interesting. It's it's pretty cool. It doesn't have quite the same hook. Um, played tons of World of Warcraft, you know, five years ago when it was a little more of, of the hot thing. Um, Star yeah. Wars, Star Wars Galaxies when it first came out before Sony Online Entertainment killed that. Um, you spend all your time working through all of the trees to become a Jedi, and then they change the game so that you can choose to be a Jedi right out of the box. <laughs> People were not too happy about that. So let me. So it sounds like you did, you've done some online gaming. Have you? Since you're into restoring cars, did you ever play Interstate seventy six? I didn't know. Never even heard. Oh of it. man, that game was so awesome. That when I think back about like online gaming um, that I played the most, that's one game, Interstate seventy six, that I played so much back in the day, and it was basically. Com- vehicle combat with, with muscle cars and weapons oh, wow. and stuff. 
Love is that. it still I around in any had... archived format? Or I know sometimes people will keep that stuff alive. Just look at YouTube and look at some of the videos, and I think there are some servers still out there, but okay. it's hard to replicate because those were for the. Remember the old like 3DFX uh, graphics cards okay. for PC. Sure. That, I, I remember that I bought that graphics card because of Interstate 76. Sure. Before anything OpenGL or kind of more standardized came out. That's right. Yeah. So I, I'm going to get to quick questions now. Um, so I'm going to ask you some of the quick questions we have on the show. Um, and I picked a couple here. So from episode 17, what is your favorite retro handheld gaming system? Did you have any back in the day or did, do you have yeah, a favorite? They would probably be pre that. That was the Mattel football games. Absolutely yes. love those games. The green Mattel two, I think that was football two, mm-hmm. which they added passing to, but the white one before that, certainly those, the two Mattel footballs, because you could take them in the car, you know, they were the first kind of thing. I remember where you, it was truly portable gaming. Yeah. yeah. So road trips. Yeah. For sure. Those. That's a good, that's a good choice. I, I, I remember I had the football, but I also had the baseball and I remember playing the baseball one a lot. I'm sure I had the baseball too, but yeah, for whatever reason, the Mattel still sticks in my head. I actually still have the Mattel two in a drawer somewhere. I came across it. Not, not you, probably in the last year. Oh, okay. It, was that your original one that you owned? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's still, awesome. Still had my name on a piece of tape on the back. <laughs> when, when you that's did that, awesome. to make sure your buddy didn't take your game. All right. I think I know the answer to this because you had mentioned it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. From episode number nine, if you could have one real arcade machine in your home, one game, not a meme, but one game, what would it be? Yeah, the Galaga would have to be the, be the one. Yep. It's such a great game. <laughs> And that I mean, is that would be in my top five for sure. Yeah, I, when I've looked at, uh, we have a big convention here called ZapCon that comes up like end of April, May. It's put on by all the local arcade restoration people. Yeah, um, and it's they get two hundred pins and three or four hundred arcade games at the Mesa Convention Center. That's an amazing two three day weekend event of just arcade nerd out. And uh, I volunteered for it a couple of times. And uh, they set up a console lounge where they have nothing but console set up with couches. So it's kind of like having 10 of your buddies' living rooms set up with TVs and Nintendos and NESs and Mega Drives or, you know, whatever, the Sega Genesis. And and uh, it's it's a really fun event. Oh, that and, sounds, uh, sounds and, awesome. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, you go to those things and that makes you kind of nerd out on, on all of that old history. And you live in Arizona now, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking, like, I'm going to try to convince Cody because my wife and I have gone um, to spring training before. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to try to convince him maybe to try to join me one year and maybe come out there and get the whole – because you just met up with a bunch of uh, great Twitter luminaries from uh, retro gaming, right? <laughs> I did. Mr. Toast and uh, Ten Mark, uh, and uh, we met for a couple of beers, and they brought their one UAE, UAE laptops, and we kind of nerded out for a couple hours and – both That's great awesome. guys had a really good time. Yeah, it was. It was. I nice. need to do that. We we we've met Mr. Toast now in in person because he uh he's from Roseville, which is pretty close by. But I met him for the first time at at an Amiga user group mm. like meetup, and I had never done that. I went to it with Cody, and he was there, and we met everybody. And then he's like, "Hey, I know you guys from Twitter," and I was like, "Oh my god, I I I didn't put two and two together." Because I never met him, and right. we we met Mr. Toast, and then we met uh, Tenmark at uh, Doug at um, at Ami West. 
Yeah, Doug and a, another friend of his, Eleven Phoenix, are actually talking about starting up a local group again. So um, I'd actually found some of uh, the Amiga user group floppy disks from when we used to meet at the library here and showed those to him, and he got a good chuckle out of that. It was Amaze, um, Amug, as I think the group was called. And uh, so I still have some of the floppy disks from those that I'd sent uh, up to Erica Amiga Love, who loves collecting that stuff because he's just crazy for all the user group history. And, that, uh, and that's fantastic. Someone has to remember that stuff because those absolutely. user groups before the internet, those user groups were all you had. Yeah, I mean, we used to meet at the Glendale Library, and uh, that was a great Amiga group. And uh, people would bring a couple 500s and just sit around and you know talk about whatever the latest new tech in the video toaster era. And yeah. um, I had a friend, uh, my roommate, his his wife Carol was an artist, and she just did amazing art on her Amiga 500. And I just sit back and I have no artistic talent whatsoever so my amiga <laughs> certainly was a was a gaming machine was uh, while i could appreciate what people could do on them it was nothing that was ever going to happen at my hand right it was a bbsing and uh and gaming machine that's exactly. pretty much what, what, what all my machines were <laughs> and it still is 30 years later yep all right well i'm we've exceeded our time <laughs> which i knew we would um, but I wanted to appreciate uh, you coming on here, Dan. I, I definitely enjoyed talking to you. I, I knew it would be a good discussion. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I really appreciate your support, and thank you for listening to Pixel Guiden. You bet. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. You guys, you, you and Cody make it really fun to, in, to listen to. And like I said, I, I'm the same way. I'm a commuter, so most of my podcast time is on my commute. So it's nice to listen to two guys that – are doing what you're doing. It sounds like you're just sitting in a late living room and sharing a couple of beers and, and, uh, and sharing some pastime of some new and some old. So keep up the good work. Thank you. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thanks. All right. We are back here to the future. Thanks Tim for t uh, taking us back to 1985. Yeah. It's very disorienting coming back to the future. And uh, thank you, Eric, for uh, talking with Dan back in like a, a week ago. It was my pleasure. It was a fun interview. <laughs> yeah. That, well, it was a few days ago. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's, just, it's, it's the 15th now, Eric. That's true. Sorry. I, I don't <laughs> know what now. I was thinking. Get with the times. <laughs> Before we do our battle of the systems, I almost completely forgot, and I'm so glad I didn't. I received a package today, Eric. From whom? Doug. Doug? From the 10-minute Amiga Retrocast. What did, now, he, what did he send you? I don't want to say anything to make myself sound like a fool, mm -hmm. uh, but I have a feeling I know what's in this, so I think it's an appropriate time. So I'm open this little uh, package here. I'm going to call it a gift package, even though, for all I know, it could be like, here's a bunch of flyers for the 10-minute Amiga Retrocast. I want you to hand out. <laughs> um, but I am opening it as we speak here. Dun, 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 dun. I wish we had a... Oh, look at that. It, it's exactly at first what I thought it was. Ten flyer for 10-minute Amiga Retrocast. <laughs> That's right. There's his logo. Uh, do you hear it? Go ahead and uh, read this, because, yep, this is exactly what I thought it might be. Okay. Perfect. A gift from Doug from 10-Minute Amiga Retrocast. Chris Nelson, Mr. Toast, and Dan James. This is from 8-Bit Alehouse. Good stuff. Uh -oh. See, that's why I wanted to open it right then, because we just uh, talked to Dan. Uh, he didn't uh, know about this. I saw no. on Twitter they all, uh, all met in Phoenix or Tucson. Yeah. Um, and uh, had drinks at that at 8-Bit Alehouse. Yeah, well, I, when I saw them tweeting about that, I was like, man, I wish I was there. That'd be so much fun. Yep, and then Doug uh, gave me the little hint by saying, I'm like, oh, I wish I was there, too. He's like, you guys are here. 
Oh. Like, what does that mean exactly? Um, and then the next, the, you know, a few hours later, he wrote me and asked uh, where he could send something. Oh wow! So this is what we got. That came fast. This came really fast. In fact, I'm glad it came tonight because it was supposed to come tomorrow. Okay. Um, so we get to open it live to tape. Right on. Let's take a look. I'm excited. Mm, there are wow. wow, wow. We got some beer, Eric. That is a. This is this is gonna fill up our next uh our next entire podcast here. Look at those tall boys. Woo! Mm. So that right there is a white mage, white ale. And we had the black mage last we time, did. right? Yeah. So this is a white ale, 8 bit ale works, and it's a mage. It's a very similar can, but in white. Let me check that out. I got it. Look at that bad boy. And this one I actually did see when they posted it on Twitter, because I thought it was the coolest looking can. Yeah. And uh, this is beta beer, uh, Graham Trismo. Graham Cracker Brown Ale. Graham Turismo. Graham Turismo. Graham Turismo. And the, it almost looks like a pole position game. The little flag, one looks like a Graham Cracker. Yep. Yeah, there you go. And then one looks like a little uh, finish or whatever. Yeah, checkered flag. Checkered flag. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. I wonder what kind, what kind of beer is it's that? It's a Graham... Oh, uh, wow. Listen to this. Cinnamon. Graham Cracker Brown Ale with cinnamon. Yeah. That sounds awesome. That does sound awesome. That sounds wow. like a good dessert beer. So I was reading the description on this uh, this white, the mage. white mage with the white ale. Listen to this. White cocoa beans and grains of paradise are recognized as natural healing ingredients. Ooh. So Not just entire roasted chickens. So, it's, <laughs> so it stands to reason that a white mage would consider them necessary tools. alcohol by volume. What's this other guy? I don't know why I always look straight for the alcohol. 5.9 on this one. I just don't want to get myself in trouble again. That Sour Monkey, which I enjoyed so much and drank all of really quickly, was 9.5%. So So this one's just just an awesome-sounding white ale, which is awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be cool. Thanks a ton, all three of you guys, and thanks for Doug for uh, reaching out to me so we could... uh, get it sent in here this is really appreciate that merry so christmas eric these are gonna be uh january beers right these are going to be january beers absolutely awesome um also i noticed there was one other little thing what is that where you, uh right there oh this yeah so this is this our christmas episode eric that's so right I, I, you already gave me a kind of a foreshadowing of this so i wanted to bring up now because our next episode's new year's yep so let me give a little background on this so one thing that really disappointed me that you said in a in an episode disappointed before you yeah well i dis- make you so sad not disappointed by you but something disappointing that mm-hmm. you said was that that's, you that's what we call backpedaling when you get a crt image for a c64 game you just like I give up you're like i can't play this and sometimes authors will only release their games in CRT format because there are some things you can put in a CRT you can't put in a regular disc image. And I'm too dumb when it comes to computer programming to know anything about that. I'm just like, make me a D64 file. That's what I know how to Right, and, and once they're cracked, they usually do show up on D64 images or whatever. Um, so I wanted to give you my easy flash cart. Yes! So there it is. Yes. A Commodore 64 cartridge. You can literally put any regular standard CRT image on there and it will play as a cartridge. And it stays on there. So you can just... It stays unplug. programmed on here. Yep. And if there's a save feature of that cartridge, it'll save on that cartridge. That is cool. So now, is this, there's no port or anything on this. Nope. So you literally load up the... C, it's called uh, Easy Prog, I think. P-R-O-G or something like that, if I remember. You load it on the C64, you plug in your SD2 IEC. Okay, so and, I load it with the... Yep, you okay, load the CZ Prog, 
program and it says, hey, where's the CRT image? You point it to your SD2 IEC and point it to the CRT image. And this will have to be plugged in at this point. Correct. And okay. then and then it says, do you want to burn this image? And you do it and it this, it's actually C64 program and it just, you'll see the little dots going across the screen, fills it up and you're good to go. Very cool. What about the little switch and the button on the top? I don't honestly remember. One of them puts it in programming mode, one of them, and then the other thing is to play mode, I think, if I remember right. The, probably the switch then. Then maybe that's reset. Yep. Cool. Yeah, that is a reset button cool. for just basic reset. That is yeah, super useful and necessary. So I'm hoping you can get some enjoyment out of some, out of some CRT images you haven't been able to play. And I think, you know what, we had mentioned Prince of Persia. That's the image that's on there right now. Prince of Persia? Yep. Oh, on the, it's okay. the new, kind of the new homebrew version of uh, Prince of Persia. So you put that on here. I put that on there. But do you typically use the Ultimate 1541? Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I, the Ultimate 1541 will do the same thing, play CRT images. Okay. Yep. Cool. There you well, go. Thank you. Merry Christmas. It's all Christmassy. And I got nothing to get you, so that's, that's awesome. okay. I did last year, so. You did. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're we're i don't want to say even we're we're fine we're we're good, we're good. we appreciate giving more than receiving Eric. that's right that's right hey how about the battle of the systems let's do it battle of the systems <laughs> So which game do you want to start with, Eric? We've got Turbo Graphics Bonk's Adventure, and we've got Alex Kidd on the Sega Master System. These are our alternative mascots for the 8-bit consoles, of course, being an alternative to Super Mario Brothers. I am going to ask that we start with Alex Kidd, and why? Because you told me that it was one of your favorites growing up. Is that right? Absolutely, yep. In Miracle World, specifically. In Miracle World. So I would like to start with that, and uh, because... This is also the one that I didn't get too far in just because of lack of time. Okay. I got the gist of it, but I think you'll be able to talk more intelligently about it, and I will just shake my head and go, yes, yes, yes. Ah, I see what you're talking about, yes. And of course, I'm bringing up video here. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, we're using Bing. Um, <laughs> and of course, it's some weird video that the guy's not even playing it right now. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, so this game, uh, both these games are... In a sense, platformers, but they're not super standard. Um, no. So, how, do you want to describe Alex Kidd first? How about- sure, I'll do my best. Um, so, Alex Kidd is a is a platformer. The guy when he starts out, what, he looks like a monkey. Is he? Just- He's always looked like a monkey to me. But yeah, he is. Is he just theory. a kid? He's a boy. Okay. He's a boy. So, um, how do I explain this? He goes around. And this is a bad example because you happen to have the water level up. But when he starts out, he's going down this kind of cord. I don't even know what to yes, call weird. it. Yes, weird. Level one of a platformer, he's going down a... He's going down. A, sh- a tunnel, a chute. He's going down. And he can punch. And he can punch these blocks. And when he hits the little blocks with stars on them, there's money in there. Sometimes there's goodies in there. And you can hit, is it the select button to go into your inventory screen and you can equip like special things like rings or whatever. Like the, you have the to first... hit the uh, pause button on the actual do you? master system. Oh, do you? Yeah. I don't know how you did it. No, I must have done that. Yeah, I played it on the real deal. So, yeah. um, okay. So you hit the reset button and you Not can reset sl- pause. I mean, pause. <laughs> and then you can go and pick like the ring and then that gives you firepower. And yep. You can shoot. 
Um, and you basically go through the level until you get to the next level, right? Oh, that's interesting. This version is a little different. So in this version, he's eating a hamburger. The, this doesn't look super familiar to me. This is the game yeah. that we're watching here. Yeah, there's is, the inventory screen. absolutely it. But, um, so some very interesting things about this game. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned, the punch. Mm -hmm. uh, Mario never punches, so that, nope. this is definitely not a Mario... I mean, it's, it's a clone? Um, but it's its own thing. The physics are a little weird. It's a little floaty. You have to get used to it. A little floaty and a little... like he, They try to do the momentum thing that mm -hmm. Mario does so well. So we're like, if you just jump and push over, you kind of barely move over, mm -hmm. where you have to kind of little run up and go. Um, you mentioned the star blocks, where you can get bags of money. Um, there are skull boxes. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you hit one of those or not, or if you just avoided them. But if you punch a skull box, you just kind of freeze for about a second, which is almost never an issue, because the skull boxes are almost never anywhere near enemies. Right. Which is interesting. I, and what took me so long to get to get going in this game was it did take me a long time to get over the fact that the controls are so floaty. I was dying just because I was moving wrong. Yep. Not because enemies attacked me, but because I fell like that guy fell in lava. Yeah. I was falling into all sorts of hijinks. <laughs> Do you know high what I mean? Jinx. All those hijinks. Yep. So I, I, I could not get a good handle on the controls till I ran out of time and it was too late. But mm -hmm. I, but I did get pretty, I mean, I, 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 I don't remember how far I got, but um, you know, I got enough to get through a couple levels. So the other thing, uh, key about the issue with the controls in this game is A and B are backwards. Okay. You you jump with the opposite button I'm used to for jumping. So it's got that issue, which I started to get used to on this game. Um, so it's worth noting that colors are extremely bright, um, really colorful. <laughs> they really are. Hard primary colors. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think it looks really good, really clean. If we're comparing it to Mario, Mario, since it's an alternate, I think it looks better than Mario. Yeah. Um, one thing I don't not like Mario about, three, but Super Mario one. The one thing I don't like is he stretched this out. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. It's the wrong aspect. About the video we're watching is yeah, uh, yeah, stretched. Um, I don't. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's interesting because, like I said, it's a platformer where you punch. It's not about jumping on top of things. If you jump on top of things, you'll die. Right. That's not very Mario. You, you cannot win that way. Yeah. <laughs> I, learned um, that, I learned that pretty quickly. But like Mario, after the first level, the next level uh, become Well, I guess it's not like Mario because Mario is underground, but mm -hmm. you get to a swim level. Right. Um, but it's interesting because they'll make these levels that are very specific to what they want you to do. Mm-hmm. So you'll go to a swim level. After that, you'll end up at a level where there's a shop at the beginning, mm -hmm. and you can spend money at the shop. Yeah. Um, you can choose to buy another one of those rings to so that you can shoot things, or you can buy a motorcycle. Yeah. Now, the motorcycle is what they want you to pick, because there's these long, open levels. If you're on a motorcycle, you can run over any enemy without getting hurt, and you can run through these. They make these mountains of blocks that you can just dive through, mm -hmm. and if you hit any of the uh, you know, um, money bags, you'll pick them up. So the whole second level, or third level, how you want to put it, is all about you just flying through that thing. You can adjust the speed of your motorcycle from really slow to really fast. Yeah. Uh, you can just get there and get a ton of money bags. It's not that hard. But it's weird. If you do get hit or if you do find a way to lose your motorcycle, the level is not made for you to walk through and punch things. It becomes really difficult. It becomes very tedious and very difficult because there's long stretches of places you have to walk through. Yep. One thing I noticed, too, is that at the end of the level, correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is something I remembered. When you get to the end of the level, you just lose that motorcycle. Yes. 
You, you don't get it. So you spent all this money on this motorcycle, and you <laughs> don't get to keep it it's anymore. It's 200 bucks, but yeah. That's yep. a lot of money in <laughs> Alex bucks. Uh, you can also get uh, little Alex dolls, which are one-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the next type of levy you'll notice, uh, this is one of them here, apparently. Yeah. Uh, you can get, for 200 bucks this weird helicopter on wheels. Yeah. And it allows you to... Um, roll along the ground and shoot or if you hit tap almost like joust you have to kind of keep tapping yeah the b button or the one button i think it is mm-hmm. on here and that'll kind of make your helicopter bounce upwards in the air and fly yeah um this level what we're watching right now is a little further in the game but you want the helicopter in this level it's really kind of tedious and hard without the helicopter mm-hmm. um helicopter still gets killed when you touch animals so you still have to use the shooting mechanism of the helicopter yep um but then yeah some of these levels you'll have to kind of balance perfectly on these little rocks and it's not easy but once you get the hang of it it becomes easy and honestly it it takes a while but it's not difficult per se um if you don't do the right things or have enough money at the right times or get the right vehicles it can become almost impossible but you kind of learn as you play a couple things i liked about it was no time limits yeah right there's no time limit on levels which i i love it it kind of encourages some exploration uh, there's nothing on this screen. Like on the play screen, there's no high score. There's no showing how many lives you have. There's nothing. You have to hit the pause button to oh, yeah. get to that. You're right. So I found that kind of interesting. Kind of cool, too. Yeah, I like that. Um, there's one part of this game, and this is, as a kid, I never figured this out. Okay. And it is the most frustrating part of this game to me. Okay. Did you get to the first um, uh, henchman? No. Oh, really? No, I didn't. What is he? So, so the first henchman, let me see if I can get in the video here and show you one of these guys. Um, let me fast forward here. Boop, 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 boop. Is that one? Oh, you, this is random. You eventually, out of nowhere, randomly fight a pig. Yeah. Uh, the pig comes at you, and you punch him, then he speeds up, and he comes at you again. You punch him again, he gets faster and faster like seven times. That type of boss or pig or whatever happens nowhere else in the game, that's a one-time thing. It's we a just, one-time deal. We just watch that happen. Um, All right, but eventually you'll get to here. There'll be a boss at the end of this one here. I'll show you. Boom! See that henchman? Yeah, he is basically a guy with a hand for a head, and he's basically putting it like a peace sign in the air. His fingers are eyeballs. Well, you'll notice you must choose either paper, scissors, or stone before the music stops. So seven times throughout this game, you'll hit a boss. Okay, like this. Yeah, and you play rock paper scissors. Best two out of three. If you lose, you die. You lose a life. Wow. As a kid, I could not get anywhere in this game. I, like, mastered the first few levels, but I would get killed on this. They called it a Jenkin match. J-A-N-K-E-N. I've never even heard of that before. See, I'm Scissorshead, the second henchman of the king. I'll let you pass here if you win three Jenkin matches. Never understood what the heck Jenkin matches were. But wouldn't, if he scissors head, wouldn't you always pick rock to no, be scissors? No, no, no. Here, I'll, I'll fast forward a little again. Okay. So here you are with the music playing. Doop, 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 doop. And he, this guy is picking. He's picking rock right there. Yeah. Look, they tied. Rock and rock. Oh, wow. It's a draw. You sure lucked out. So they're going to play again. And there's this music that um, I'll have to use for our show later because I really like the little song. It's nostalgic. So they're dancing. There's music going right now. And he's trying to pick. He, he's choosing rock again. So let's see if he wins this time. Okay. Uh, let's see. Dump, 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 doop, doop, doop. And two rocks again. So they, they drew again. I died on this stupid, complete luck driven thing as a kid. All like 
forever. I it's got good. really good at those levels, and I could got, not get past it. It's kind of cheap. It was really cheap, but as a kid, I should have realized this. Go ahead and look at my master system right there. Yeah. Grab that little post-it note off the top there. On the master system. Yep, further over. There you go. Grab that little post-it note. Show me what you see on there. Rock scissors. <laughs> scissors, paper. Number three is rock scissors. Four, paper, paper. What is this? What Those is are this? the solutions. How so, do you know the... Where, so how would you, if you know this? Yeah. Play the game. Yeah. And you get it right the first time, mm-hmm. it'll always go to that next one. And if you get that right, it'll always go to the next one. If you ever mess up and don't win a match, it becomes completely random. Oh, wow. So I guess as a kid, you're supposed to realize that and like write it down every time and eventually get all the way through the game. It's almost like a way to like extend the how long it'll take you to beat this game. But I just looked that up online and printed it because I'm like, I'm not, I, I didn't know that and I'm not yeah. dealing with the stupid rock, paper, scissors guys. Oh, that's kind of, that's, I think that's pretty cheap. How would that's you have ever cheap. figured that out as a kid? As a kid, I didn't. That's why I had this thing for years and I love the game, but I could never get past the second guy because at that point I only had like one life. Yeah. So I, I did write that down. Okay. So, so you, you I, I did reach him. Yeah. Um, I just forgot about it, but, um, and I got to the water level. There are water levels like in Mario. Yep. Um, but you still punch in front of you. There is an overworld map. So. You can't choose anything, but it's kind of a fun little yeah. way to see how far you are through the game. Yep. Um, and I did I did reach that. I just don't, didn't remember it. Um, so, yeah. And then the last thing I want to mention is... Mm-hmm. Um, see if I can... Um, there's a, the beginning again. Game mm-hmm. over screen. Was this a pack-in game? So, when I had my Sega Master System 2, mm-hmm. this was built into it. Okay. But okay. not for the original that's what I thought. Model 1. Okay. And that's why I had it. Uh, in fact, where's my copy of it here? Oh, there it is. I have the cartridge. Oh, nice. That's one that I want to make sure I kept. I didn't want to throw that away. Yeah. So there's Alex Kid in Miracle World. So uh, one thing that was interesting, this also helped. I did not know this when I was a kid. Yeah. If you die, and they don't tell you this anywhere, if you die and you have $800 at least, okay, you can hold up and hit button two eight times, and you'll continue. Oh, really? Yep. But you wouldn't know that unless you, you just knew it somehow. You knew it. It's kind of a cheat, I guess, basically. But Okay. So using that mechanism, I virtually beat this game. Yeah. I got to the very, very end. I was like two screens away from the last boss. And out of nowhere, nowhere in the game does this exist except for at this point. There's a water level where there's spikes all over the top and bottom of these tiny little corridors. And when you swim, it's kind of like the helicopter. You have to kind of like pump. Yeah. And uh, I could not get through the... There was no way to get through those spikes without dying over and over and over again. I think I watched a video and saw those spikes. And I was like, man, that looks pretty tough. And that was like, yeah, the second to last room. Then you fight apparently Jenkin, who is the boss, which is why you play quote unquote Jenkin matches. It's like the ultimate boss's name. Yeah. So that's Alex Kid. I have huge memories of it. Uh, Very colorful. Very catchy music, in my opinion. The music's great. The music is good. Um, Gameplay's a little slippery. Um, very kind of unique. I don't think there's any other game, honestly, like this, where you punch. It's like a platformer where you punch. It, it's, it's hard to call it like a standard platformer. It doesn't feel like a platformer. It feels like something else, but I don't know what to put my finger on. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it's, it, it's not, there's not another game I've played like this. Yeah. Unlike the next game we're talking, which is... Uh, Kind bonk. of a quintessential bonk. I mean, a quintessential platformer. Well, I don't agree. We'll get to that. Okay, we'll get okay. To that. We did get one uh, listener review on Twitter from Jake Harvey. 
He says, uh, I love this game. It's full of quirks and has slippery controls, but it's so unique. The two castle stages are my favorite. Suddenly, the game turns into a Montezuma's Revenge-style game, which I guess I can kind of see. I'm looking back on it now. Um, And uh, just a quick note. Mm -hmm. Someone did take this original game, and I haven't done this yet, but I really want to, and they made Alex the Kid in Miracle World 2. And they basically made all new levels. They just used the assets from I believe that game. So yeah, okay. they might have added a few things, but it's, it's this game, just all cool. new levels. So I, I, I love this game. I don't know if it's nostalgia or what. I know there's issues with it. I know it's not a perfect game, but for me personally, I love this game. Yeah, I played probably five to six hours of this this month. Oh, that's cool. I just kept playing it. Oh, I really wanted to beat it. I played it over and over and over again. I like the fact that I figured out the continue thing. But it still wasn't such a big help because it takes 800 bucks. So at most, I was able to continue like twice. Okay. And, and you it, didn't beat it. I did not. I got to the second to last room before the boss. That's how far I can get. Gotcha. Saw those spikes and I just said, nope. <laughs> I can't. The spikes are going to be. I enjoyed it. Once I got used to the floaty jump mechanics, I started to enjoy it. I just didn't have that much time with it. I think I probably spent two, two and a half hours playing it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So cool. on to Bonk's Adventure. Well, first of all, should we give, okay. give a, a rating for this one? I thought we would just compare them. Who wins? We, you always say that. We always rate them. Do we rate them? We always rate them. All right. I'm, I'm down with rating. Well, let's do Bonk first, and then we'll give them scores. Okay. okay. Bonk on the TurboGrafx-16. Well, we, could rate, we could rate it now. Come on. Uh, okay. What's a, what's a good method of, of measurement for alternate mascots? For alternate mascots? Um, uh, high school... Mascot. mascot costumes <laughs> okay sure <laughs> sure out let's of, do that. out of out of uh 30 high school mascots 30 okay so 15's the halfway point go ahead why don't you score it first i know it's gonna be high for you um it, if i was being like an actual critic i would give it a lower score but i'm gonna do this for me sure yes do it for um, you out of 30 i'm gonna give it 26 out of 30. Out so of that's, 30. that's very high. I love it. I love yeah, yeah. the game. And I, if I was a critic and looking at this and looking at its faults and what it does wrong, I'd probably give it 23. Mm-hmm. But darn it, this is my review, so I'm doing 26. Okay. 26 out of 30. That's high praise. High praise. Um, 26 out of 30 mascot uniforms. Okay. So <laughs> I am going to rate it a 20... A twenty-one and a half. Ooh, twenty-one and a half. That's low praise. No, no, that's that's not bad. It's way above the middle, the middle ground. You, you, you're allowed to have your opinion. Twenty-one. All right, let's get on to the next game then. Bonk's Adventure for the Turbo Graphics sixteen. Our favorite caveman. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you knew this. So uh, we actually we talked about it previously. Okay. The Japanese name for this is PC Gen or BC Genjin. BC Genjin. BC, in theory, because it's before Christ, you know, a yeah. caveman. He's a caveman. That's right. And Genjin, because it was a play on, I mean, it's man, I guess. Okay. So he's like, you know, old BC man. Yeah. And it's a play on words because the, the Turbo Graphics in Japan was called the PC Engine. And this is BC Genjin on the PC Engine. <laughs> so there you go. There's a little bit of trivia. That's all I know about the game. Yeah. Um, I do remember as a kid seeing it and thinking it was the coolest thing. I didn't think it was on any other system besides the Turbo Graphics. But looking back on it now, apparently it got ported to like eight different systems. Oh, did it? Including the Amiga, the Game Boy, the NES actually got a port. 
Uh, Super Nintendo got a port. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. The only one I knew of it was on the TG-16. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the uh, definitive version of it. So. Okay. Uh, yeah, just describe this one. So it is a platformer, which I think is more a lot like a Mario-style game. Um, the the mascot is a little cave kid, I guess. And he's, he's got I would a, call him like a PC Genjin. A PC Genjin, but he's got a giant head. <laughs> he looks like a two-year-old... Yeah, giant head, tiny body, uh, caveman, but it, it, two, two, like, he looks like a two-year-old. Yeah, he does. I always he, thought he was a baby as a kid. Yeah, he looks a lot like a baby. Um, it is a... So you basically a platformer, kind of like Mario. You go through the levels. There's no time limit. You have three hearts, which is your life. It's always your first thing. There's no time limit. Hey, <laughs> hey I, I that, love that. That's my thing. <laughs> uh, the number two button on the controller is the headbutt, right? Yep. Number one is jump. Um, at the bottom of the screen are the lives and your points. Yep. Like right there. You can see the little two little dudes and the hearts. Um, which, to me, putting that date on the HUD makes it kind of a little more like a traditional platformer. Yeah. Um, the You can jump on plants like that to get little treats that pop out of it. Like the jumpy plants give types of food. And the plants, when you jump on them, you can actually spring off of them. Yeah. Um, the power-ups are really weird. That little animation, <laughs> what is that? The power-up? What are you talking about? Like uh, when he does the power-up and it l- l- creates that little thing around his body, like the little graphics, like like stuff like that. Yeah. The stars come out, now he's angry bonk. Yeah. So so when you destroy an enemy, usually a smiley face comes out, mm-hmm. and those t- tally up at the end of See the that? level for points. <laughs> Uh, sometimes meat will come out. If you eat your first piece of meat, he becomes like angry bonk. Okay. You can see he gets, his eyes get kind of like frustrated. Yeah. angry. Um, and at that point he turns like reddish mm-hmm. and now his hits do double damage. Okay. So instead of hitting an enemy twice, you only have to hit him once. Okay. And then if you eat another piece of meat before he, after a certain time, he'll revert back to regular bonk. So if you eat another piece of meat by then, um, he will... Blow his lid, essentially. He'll fly up in <laughs> right. the air in an angry fit, yeah. turn bright red, get crazy evil eyes, and he's invincible. Um, in either state, if he's uh, one meat in or two meats in, <laughs> you can do head uh, head pounds into the ground and, yeah, yeah. and uh, freeze anybody on the ground for a short period of time. Now, I didn't know what you just said. I, I've experienced it many times oh, in the okay. game, but I didn't know that the second meat allows you to do that yep i was wondering why i couldn't do it all the time you know what i mean gotcha yeah the, i didn't put two there's, two two, there's little meats and yeah. they take two and of course there's a gigantic one that gets you straight to okay blowing your lid and, and going psycho gotcha um there's yeah the first level there's like alligators and uh these little i don't even know what they are like like walking pac-man ghosts yeah um the enemies are really weird the graphics are really good the graphics are good. Uh, it's a, I think this is a great s- choice for kind of the mascot for the system. Uh, as a kid, this I was very aware of Bonk, and Bonk was the Turbo Graphics. Um, I'm not sure why it wasn't more popular than it was because I think it was a great mascot. Yeah, um, I was very aware of Bonk, and I really wanted Bonk. It was very. Co- it's very colorful. The graphics are very smooth, very spot on. Um, I was not as aware of Bonk. Really? Okay. Yeah, but then again, I didn't know anyone that had a TG-16. Neither did I. I never... I, the first one I've ever played was the one I own. Okay. 
Um, but I knew of it. I knew of what it was in magazines and who Bonk was. And, mm-hmm. um, so we, we'll go into more of the different levels and where he goes from here. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're right in that it's a typical platformer because it goes left to right. You have little hearts for lives. You have lot, uh, you know, your little characters in the bottom with lives and you have a score. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Here's where I think it has nothing to do with a traditional platformer. Okay. They change so many things uh, about the way you can attack mm-hmm. that this game becomes... Um, people can get really into trying to maximize score on this game. Sure. So you can obviously headbutt, or you yep. can jump in the air and hit attack, and then you'll flip upside down. And then you can headbutt people down, going downwards. Yep. If you do that, that counts as two hits, and you kill them. Okay. You can also... Uh, jump up if they're above you and just jump into them with your head. And you can juggle and, them. And that attacks them. And then they bounce and turn into a ball and you can juggle them for more points. Mm-hmm. So you can attack somebody, uh, hurt them, then start juggling and bouncing them around and you can get all kinds of things. Yeah. Which I found pretty cool. I tried it a few times. I gotta admit I didn't juggle dudes as much as maybe I should have, but it, you don't have to, but you, there's a lot of places where you get extra points or more meat or all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, in addition, it's, uh, I almost feel like the game was designed around the fact they kind of created a moveset for the character mm-hmm. and realized what you could do with it and be like, oh, no, what we could do, we can make a level based on you having to do that. Yeah. So especially as you get further in the game, mm-hmm. you can, um, and you can do this from the get-go, but it becomes more important later, you can juggle yourself. So I don't oh, know if you did know. this. Nope. Didn't so do that. when you hit B to flip yourself upside down, if you hit it again, you flip yourself up or upright. Well, to do that automation, it pauses you in midair. So you, if you jump off of something and hold over and just hit attack over and over and over again, you're flipping in air, and you can go three times as farther on your jump. Almost like floating or flying. Yeah, like yeah. in some, some games, you can do that. And in fact, it becomes really obvious with the turbo graphics because you have a turbo button. Mm-hmm. If you put that turbo all the way up and just hold it, you'll sit there and flip in midair almost, almost permanently. Mm, I didn't know it's that. Like, yeah. So there's jumps you can make where you have to do that to, in order to do it. Um, there's... Ways to juggle enemies where you could be up in the air for five, six seconds, bouncing people and attacking people without ever touching the ground. Um, it gets really involved. Um, now, at the end of the first level, this is where you start kind of realizing kind of some of the genius of the game. There's these little uh, volcanoes that shoot things at you and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get to the end of the first level, and there is you all of a sudden you're avoiding these spikes, and you can tell you're on the back of a dinosaur. Um, yep. There's slugs. You get to that dinosaur. And you headbutt him, mm-hmm. and he starts crying, and he opens his tongue up, and you go right into his mouth. I took it, yeah, and I got past this. I mean, I, fi- I figured this out on my own. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I hope you got Yeah. <laughs> I hope you got this far. Yes, I did. Um, so kind of like a Mario block, some plants you can bounce on multiple times, get yep. multiple items out of it. So the quote-unquote swimming level in Bonk's Adventure is you're swimming backwards, right to left, which is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I first inside, fell in here, I thought it was lava. Yeah, yeah. And when you but, think about it, you're inside of a dinosaur's gut. Yep. So that's just stomach juices. <laughs> and, which is cool and gross. Yeah. But it's hilarious because this dinosaur literally has like 37 uvulas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're smiling at you. Yep. And you can, uh, you have to dodge them. And by the way, you can hold your breath in the, uh, for infinite amounts of time while yeah. floating through his digestive juices. Yeah. Uh, he has uvulas on the bottom. Stalactite and stalagmite uh, uvulas. (laughs) Oh, that's one mechanic. You can chew your way up walls. You bite a wall and go, na 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 and chew yourself up a wall. Chew up a wall. Yep. Yeah. Goofy, goofy stuff. Um, At the end of the level, 
before you fight a boss, you you find this big skull and it'll open up and you hop inside of it and it'll take you down a, essentially an elevator. Yep. In my notes, I wrote it down as dinosaur. Um, it was a skull elevator to the boss. And I just, love the bosses. Yeah. I thought, so see how he's doing the juggle, his own juggle thing. And I did this to beat him. So I just didn't realize that's what juggling was. Well, I thought you just sit was there and just hit, attack over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah. See how he's just floating. Yep. Just floating. Yep. Um, the bosses are fun because you can, they bounce, are fun. You bounce off there. You have to, all the bosses have a helmet, and you have to break their helmet. So the goal is always the same. You basically hit their head enough times. So you're avoiding them. And I always find this hilarious. You just beat the crap out of this guy, and all of a sudden he says, Gee whiz, thanks. I feel a lot better now. Maybe he's just trapped in that helmet. <laughs> Somebody put that helmet on him and trapped him in there. I'm your new friend. We're just watching to beat the first boss here. Arf, arf, arf. Apparently he's a dog, even though he does not look like a dog. He's no. a full head of hair. Um, and then you get, there you go. All your smiley faces are added up. Your life comes back, blah, blah, blah. This is funny, because um, you can tell that the Japanese did their own translation. Yeah. And this is why, because just th- simple things like this. Round one, cleared. Begin two round. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then there's a few things. Uh, when he beat the second boss, mm-hmm. um, it says, uh, way out. I'm oh. Like, way out? Oh, that must have been like a direct translation for far out. Like they thought we were saying far out. Yeah. But he said way out because that's a very early 90s term. <laughs> far out. So it's like way out, dude. Right. Um, the music in the game, the title music is really weird. It is. It's just really dissonant. Like it did not sound like a musician did it. A lot of the levels sound weird, but they did pick the most musical and most enjoyable little Calypso track for the first level. Mm-hmm. And I think that's anytime you're above ground, you hear that. Dum, da, dum, 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 da, dum, yep. um, I love that. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I mean, you play further in levels, you eventually have flying creatures, pterodactyls, lots of different variety in the way the levels look. But mm-hmm. There's uh, a waterfall level, I think that's coming up. Um, concrete maze, there's like this kind of maze level where you're going through a maze and it's got it's a i called it a concrete level there it is yeah yeah right there yep um a lot of chewing up walls to get through that this yeah, is that where, was hard because yeah, when you're chewing up walls you actually go pretty slow so you're sitting there bashing yeah. that button trying not to get hit by an enemy that's coming kind of slowly towards you and at this level it wasn't the enemies that were i was worried about it was falling off of these ledges because i couldn't chew my way up them yeah um yeah. No, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed this game. I mean, I had a lot of fun. I wish I had uh, had the time to get better at it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there's some later levels here with carrots and pterodactyls and like little tiny ra- uh, raptor things that run across. And there's uh, a lot of enemy, five, enemy five variety. Cool bosses. Yeah. Yeah. But unlike, um, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but unlike um, Alex Kidd. The gameplay was almost always the same. You have the same move set. You kind of do the right. same stuff. Yep. Uh, you have a lot of moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, the waterfall, you can bite your way up the waterfall itself rather than having to be on a wall. Yeah. So that's a little different. But whereas Alex Kidd, you had like vehicle levels, you had motorcycle levels, which played completely different than helicopters, which that's played true. completely different than going down a tunnel, which is different than the swim, which is different than the random pig punching level. That's true. <laughs> you just punch a pig. Punch a pig. Um yeah, that's pretty much this game. I got to the final boss run in this game. Mm-hmm. And there's one boss I just could not beat because you can do continue infinitely in this game. Problem is, your first run through, you gain hearts. So you can have up to like five or six hearts. Okay. But once you continue, you go back to your original three. 
And there's one boss I just, even though it was doing the boss run, I was practicing over and over and over again. That monkey boss I could not beat with three lives. I just kept dying. Okay. So um, I got to the that... same here. I was 95% on this game just like I was on Alice Kid. Well, it's further than I got. I got to that concrete maze level, and I couldn't get through to the end of that one. Gotcha. Yeah, yep. and that's about, I don't know. No, that's, that's probably level two and a half. They can I think there's five two altogether. Point two, yeah, I got to 2-4. Gotcha. Yep. Um, it definitely also does borrow that Mario mechanic, the slow run, until you get a little momentum going. So you kind of have a little bit of momentum, but not enough to where it's like slippery, not as nearly as bad as Alex Kid. Right. Um, I think I covered everything else. All bite swim. Yeah. Yep. That's the game. So um, I'd say they're similar in length. Um, yeah. Although this one was a little bit more challenging gameplay. You're probably going to disagree with me, but you had to continue so you could keep going and you could practice for the levels. No, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right. So out of 30, 30 mascots, mascots. Yep. What would you give it? I asked you first. I would give this <laughs> 24. Ooh, you really like this one. I do. I, I, I think if I got to spend more time with it, I think I would really enjoy it. You know, I really like this one too. Um, when I first played it, I didn't. It seemed very disjointed, and there were so many moves that I couldn't figure it all out. Yep. But I played it a couple more... T- In fact, I played it once, put it away for like three weeks, and came back to it after playing Alex the Kid the- a ton. Okay. And I really liked it the second time I played it, and, and third time. Um, I'll give it 25. Oh, wow. So you might like it a little more than me. I, I Well... Yeah, I, I really liked it. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I, I'd give the edge to Alex Kid, but if I was going to recommend a game to somebody else, I would recommend this one. I would too. I would too. Although I, I, I did like Alex Kid a lot. So I mean, I, and I, I, now that when I go back to those, I'll probably play a little further on before I move to something else because that's just the way I play games. But You're now that I do that the first time while we review it, Eric. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, if I, in the battle of the systems, I think I'd give the nod to, um, I would give the nod to Bonks. They were kind of split, but kind of not, because if we're talking about somebody else, I'd pick this one. So we'll we'll go ahead and give it to Bonks Adventure. So Bonks Adventure, (laughs) well done, TurboGrafx wins this battle. But Alex Kidd gave it a real good college try, because it was on a, I guess, quote unquote, inferior system, too. Ouch, though. Well, I mean. Them's fighting words. Don't you think? I mean, the TG-16's got a little more horsepower. It's got almost 16 bits. <laughs> exactly. Almost doubled the bits. So, um, so it was a very good, valiant effort. I liked, I liked both games. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Um, cool. Yeah, I definitely noticed some differences on the NES, and, and I think this is one to, to definitely look at the other systems. I'm going to do that, yeah. Because they all seem to play a little differently. The Amiga one um, has a completely different look to it. Gonna, but I think it keeps a lot of the gameplay, whereas the NES and the Game Boy just can't do the gameplay, so they kind of had to make changes to make it fit better. Hmm. Um, so they toned yeah. it down a little. The Game Boy one actually looked really good, just watching the gameplay. Oh, wow. It seemed to fit really well. If you look at this, like, the, the size of the, the sprites and stuff on the screen for the TurboGrafx one, you can see how they're big, chunky sprites, so the game, going to a smaller screen, you wouldn't lose a lot of real estate. Yeah. It would still feel about that as- aspect ratio. So I think that's kind of why it looks so good on the Game Boy. It's like, oh, okay, this looks really playable. It's weird that a that a game that was touted as 
as the mascot would appear on other consoles. Like you don't see Mario showing up on. I don't think else. it happened until way until they gave up already on the until they gave up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure. That's fair. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, that's uh, an episode in the bag. Wow. That's our uh, Christmas episode of Pixis, Pixel, Pixis, Pixis, Guy Den, <laughs> whatever our show is called. Um, we got an awesome one again next week, in, or two weeks, Yeah, end of the month, uh, for our New Year's Spectacular. I'm excited about that. I'm really excited about it. I was excited about this one, but I'm really excited about the next one. Uh, first of all, of course, Eric and I are going to catch up, but then we are going to have our first on-air time with our buddy Tim. We're going to... Uh, if he makes it. If everything goes well, if he <laughs> yeah. wakes up early enough, because he's like, waking up at like 5 a.m. or something, and, and we're staying up late. To do this. Eric's bedtime was already at like four hours ago, so Eric's yeah. staying up late. Tim's waking up early. Yep. I'm just right happy in the middle. <laughs> um, and uh, we'll we'll talk to Tim a little bit, and we're going to do our uh, kind of uh, favorite Pixel Guide in everything of the year all together. So yeah. I'm really excited for that. Um We've also got an interview with Juan Martinez, as we pointed out, who is the author of uh, a bunch of my uh, kind of more recent favorite games, um, Night Night on the MSX and uh, Rescuing Orc. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. On uh, C64. Yep. So really cool. Really excited about that. And um, then, uh, I guess, I guess, man, that's that's a lot of show right there. That is. I don't is. think I need to add anything else. Nope. I, I don't think I'm going to have time to do a Cody's Corner. I'll, I'll be <laughs> honest with you, so... Uh, we'll see if we make time or not, but uh, we appreciate it, guys. And um, remember, it's, it's dangerous, dangerous to, to go, go alone. alone. Thank you again for listening. You can find episode information and show notes online at pixelguiden.com. Please follow us on Twitter at pixel underscore guiden. And you can also follow Eric at the project. That's D-U-H project. You can also follow Cody on Twitter at Oddball49. That's O-D-D-B-A-1149. Please leave a review to help get our podcast listed higher up on the show rankings. We would also love to hear from you with any comments or input. So hit us up on our email at podcast at pixelguiden.com.